Hello, I'm Marshall Teague, and you are watching $2 Late Fee and Podcasting After Dark, right here. Well, actually, what I was going to say is, Zach, Corey, and Dustin, what you guys do is amazing. I have enjoyed every single minute of it, and I mean that from my heart. You're professional, you're funny, you're great, and you got good character. All of you. God bless you. Thank you. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. Congrats! You found $2 Late Fee, the best 80s movies podcast in the world. We revisit our favorite 80s movies. And sometimes 90s. And soundtracks from our youth. And then we interview our favorite people who help make them. All in the spirit of nostalgic positivity. Thanks for listening. Can I buy you guys a drink? Guess not. Patrick Swayze is... Dalton. I thought you'd be... bigger. Opinions vary. When he's around, anything can happen. How's a guy like you end up a bouncer? Just lucky, I guess. And usually does. If somebody gets in your face, I want you to be nice. Don't! Don't be rude! Ask him to walk, but be nice. Help this gentleman to the door. Until it's time to not be nice. So says the fighting philosopher. He may be hard to handle. I keep talking, you're going to go off thinking I'm a nice guy. I know you're not a nice guy. But he's easy to like. What's the matter, Dalton? Don't you like women? Worst I ever had was wonderful. He's not what you'd expect. I thought you'd be bigger. (laughs) (laughs) But there's one thing you can count on. He's the best friend a good time ever had. Aren't you guys tired? Doc, I'll get all the sleep I need when I'm dead. This is my town. I'm not afraid of him. I guess you'll be having that fire sale now, all right? <laughs> you got your hands full, kid. I just think I'm looking at a dead man. <laughs> Patrick Swayze. For that line of work, I thought you'd be bigger. <laughs> Gee, I've never heard that before. Roadhouse. It's the crossover that you've all been waiting for. Oh my gosh. First of all, Podcasting After Dark is celebrating four years, moving into season five, and now $2 late fee, celebrating four years, moving into season five. Here we are with our annual crossover. Woo! Oh, Ooh. baby. It's, and this is going to be a big one, too. Like, it's going to be an entire month. And this movie, I think, warrants that level of commitment. I would say that it sort of bears um, some explanation that the original movie in mind for this was was maybe not was maybe not Roadhouse, but it, it happened to come out, uh, I think, when you guys were talking, that Corey had never seen this movie. And right. I yes. was like, that is outrageous. Um, <laughs> Egregious. All, all the Jackie Child's, uh, <laughs> all the Jackie Child's adjectives 
outrageous, <laughs> flirtatious. Um, and uh, yes, and I was like, well, then we absolutely need to cover Roadhouse. There's just no, there's no question about it. It's uh, an important movie for a lot of, for a lot of our listeners, I imagine. Uh, pivotal, um, seminal, um, amazing, and um, and what better movie to devote an entire month to? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we started this whole thing three years ago. Uh, I chose the first film, obviously, The Wraith. And then the second year was Corey's pick. He chose Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man. And then this year, it was Dustin's pick. Dustin, yeah, he had an alternate title, which we may get to down the road, so I don't want to reveal what it is. Yeah. Uh, But then, yeah, Corey and I were breaking down uh, Dr. Dr. Mordred. Yeah, it's Dr. Mordred that just dropped. And I mentioned I'd never seen this before, and Zach just <laughs> goes right and texts Dustin. <laughs> well, one of the actors in that movie uh, is actually in this film as well. We'll get to her. Say goodnight, Denise. Yes. And that was when I, I had a pee break because we recorded for about eight hours uh, straight. And I sent Dustin a text. I said, Corey's never seen Roadhouse. And almost immediately, <laughs> Dustin was like, what the fuck? <laughs> WTF? What the, what the, the, what the crap? That's a bunch of caca. It makes a strong case. Yeah. And yeah. I said, I think we need to do this. And Dustin's like, no, we need to do this or something to that effect. Yeah. And then I, I think, think it was it's... a much cooler conversation than that, but fine. It was way cooler. It was like, <laughs> no, we need like, to do it. <laughs> D- Dustin was like, hey, mijo. Hey, you, mijo. Uh, you think you ought to just be nice to him. Be nice to him and make sure that he uh, breaks down that movie. Double douche. (laughs) And I said, I think Roadhouse, well, well, Wade, I think Roadhouse checks all the boxes. It's got action. It's got romance. It's got language. It's got music. It's got everything that $2 late fee and podcasting after dark have in common. And a little bit that it doesn't. (laughs) Like the nudity. (laughs) Yes. A whole lot of that. And then, uh, and Dustin wrote back and said, let's do this. And I said, just like we did in prison? And he said, yeah, just like we did in prison. Oh, boy. Oh, my. <laughs> and as soon oh as we were done my. recording Dr. Mordred, I went on Amazon and purchased the uh, Shout Select. I didn't pick up the 4K. I think you got that one, right, Zach? With the, the... I have. There we go. I'm going to do is. an unboxing on our Patreon, but I have the Roadhouse Deluxe box set from Vinegar Syndrome. It is beautiful. It is just jam-packed with, like, amazing mm. art from the dude designs yeah. and it's got a booklet inside he, and a, he looks and a, like the lead singer of uh aha <laughs> he kind of <laughs> does he kind of does, does. does. take on me does. right there so uh That's yeah awesome. i mean look this is this is um it's 80s it's cult i wouldn't say this is cult this is probably one of our most mainstream movies we've ever done but it's got a cult like following yeah in, in in people that have watched it repeatedly, including Dwayne the Rock Johnson, apparently, um, and you'll f- hear all about that in a few weeks, courtesy of Marshall Teague. Yeah, I mean, I think if you were um, a, a guy, in, you know, our age, you know, growing up, at this movie, you know, for me with my friends, like this was like a repeat. This was definitely a repeat watch. We would always, you know, um, have it on. You you know, it's very quotable. Um, it's, it's, it, it kind of moves, you know, it's, it's, it's longer than 90 minutes, uh, which everyone knows is my sweet spot, but, um, but still it doesn't, it doesn't feel like excessive. It's almost two hours. Um, there's not a ton that I was like, oh, just chop this out, chop this out, chop this out. Wow. Um, 
and it's it's very rewatchable. I think, which is uh, one of the biggest the biggest things uh, about it. And um, Corey, you've probably watched it like seven times since you saw it yesterday, right? <laughs> Just because it's that good. I uh, our buddy Lee hit me up today because I, I made a post that uh, a cryptic post that we were recording a a crossover episode, and I you know put the Jeff Healy song up there, and Lee hits me up on Instagram. He goes, "It's happening, isn't it?" And I was like, "Yeah, buddy, it's happening." <laughs> and uh, he was like, "But I want to know what you think because he knows I'd never seen it before." And my first thing I've been thinking all day. It's a very watchable movie. I was I was not expecting to um, be as engaged with it as I was on my first viewing. Um, I said I tend to watch I watched that one like I watched almost every first viewings. I was pretty stoned, and uh, <laughs> you know I can get a little distracted sometimes with that. But with Roadhouse, I was pretty glued to it the entire time. Very minimal, like IMDb checking and everything. And my biggest takeaway was, yeah, that movie, A, does not feel like almost two hours. And B, it's just, it's extremely watchable. And I assume also rewatchable as well. Yeah, I will say that I haven't seen this movie in a a few years. Um, And, but... I did watch it repeatedly back in the day. I think my first exposure to it was on VHS, uh, renting it at the video store. I don't think I saw this in the theater. And that's a shocker, by the way. Yeah, yeah. it is. Because, I mean, my mom would have taken me to it. And I know she was a big Patrick Swayze fan. I remember she would go, well, you you move like Patrick Swayze. And then that train song came out. And I'm like, I do have dance moves like Patrick oh, Swayze. No. Just kidding. <sighs> delete. And no, it's delete. <laughs> <laughs> delete. I do um, have dance moves like Swayze, Mom. <laughs> thanks, Mom. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I, I wasn't. Uh, Dirty Dancing had come out the the year prior or two years prior to this, and I did not see Dirty Dancing. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think it's an eighty-seven. Yeah, I think it is big time. And I was. And I was 11. I was 11. I wasn't, you know, I was like into my G.I. Joes and in comic books. I didn't want to go see a movie about dancing. And that that didn't appeal to me. Uh, then Roadhouse came out and I loved Sam Elliott. I've loved Sam Elliott since uh, I saw him in Mask. I think that was the first mm-hmm. time I ever mm-hmm. saw him as a kid. And I thought, this guy is cool. Um, little did I know or little did I remember that he doesn't show up until like halfway through the movie, you know. Uh, but he yeah. is truly a supporting actor. Like he's he's the definition of what a, what a supporting actor is supposed to be. This movie is like very much like you see a lot of movies now where there's a leading man, right? But then he's filled with supporting actors throughout and the leading man or leading woman doesn't feel like they're the lead. They just feel like they're part of an ensemble. This is very much a Patrick Swayze movie from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of a Jeff Healy movie too. Oh yeah. That's right. Lot, a lot of Jeff Healy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Wait, you got me. Uh, so I think it bears mentioning too that that Roadhouse. You may have heard the news uh, is coming out with a reimagining, um, not a not a sequel, not a reboot. Um, they're calling it a reimagining with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, and um, directed by Doug Liman, um, coming out sometime this year is what they're saying. So we, we probably have some good timing in terms of uh, revisiting this movie as well. Um and encouraging others to revisit this movie as well. On top of the that's two as wells. Um, and of course I'm also thinking I'm like, 
well, if the strike is going on and then, you know, that probably will delay the, the movie. And, and so, who, so who knows? Who knows? Um, and, uh, and then we'll be like, everybody watch this one. And then they'll, they'll go to the streamers and then no one will get residuals and that won't be good either. But the fact is, um, it's time. It's time for Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> well, buy, b- go out and buy the Blu-ray. Support yeah. mm-hmm. small businesses. Yeah. Support S- Shout Factory. Support there you Vinegar go. Syndrome. Look at that option. Uh, <laughs> you know, like there was a day and t- there was a time and time and place when we didn't have the option that we have now to watch movies accessibly, and you had to rent it. Go to Vidiots in Los Angeles and rent it, or go to your the last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, and rent it. Um, this movie is is a film that I think. I don't I watched it the other day and I thought there's not one thing in this film that I fe- that I think feels dated. Uh maybe you know the cast being almost all white with the exception of I think one actor, Keith David who maybe has one line in the entire movie. Yep, who you know apparently had a lot of his scenes cut uh, along with Kathleen uh, Wilhout. Uh she she had her scenes cut too, I guess. She had more um like you know, depth to her character, which I think kind of feels that way. In the right. Movie She's too. the waitress. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name or not, um, but I'm probably saying it wrong. We but, saw her uh, on Witchboard, didn't we? We did see her in Witchboard. She was in uh, 10 to Midnight, which is a great uh, Charlie Brunson movie. And she's actually, she's been in a bunch she's of She's been in bunch a of ton things. of things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Will Will Hoyt. I think it's Will Hoyt. Will Hoyt. Okay. Hoyt. Yeah, she plays Carrie in this, of course. Ta-ta for now. <laughs> I I mean, this film is like there's a balance of male butts as much as there are as female boobs. Yeah. 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 I I can see that. It seems like it's um not quite exploitative, but like fair. It's fair. the the sex appeal is fairly uh, distributed throughout this film between the male and the female cast. It it doesn't feel like this is just a guy movie, you know, like it's, no. it's, it's it feels like it has cross appeal as well. Um, and yeah, as someone who just watched it for the first time in 2023 at the age of 45, fascinating. It, it didn't feel that dated to be honest with you. Although like I had some critiques, but at the time I, I don't think that it would have mattered. Like the way the bar evolves over time, I think is cool but then it just turns into an Applebee's. But then I had to think back then. I was <laughs> totally. like, but I was like, but back then, that wasn't the cliche. And in this movie, you see a lot of things that I, you know, I was like, oh, it feels like a little bit of a cliche now. But you got to remember, when this came out, these things weren't. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it was. I thought it was very interesting. And then I kind of was like thinking back, like, why, why did this miss me? Um, I don't know if my dad ever watched it. And a lot of times if I didn't watch these kind of movies with him, I wouldn't really pick them up. Um, and then I'm kind of watching Patrick Swayze and I realized I had one summer when my sister watched Dirty Dancing on repeat every minute of the entire day. And I was, I know I remarkably know that movie very freaking well. Um, but after that, I'm not going to lie to you. Red Dawn was my Patrick Swayze. I watched Red Dawn a million times as a kid, and maybe that just superseded, you know, Roadhouse or something. Like maybe I was given an option. I was like, oh, I'd rather do Red Dawn or something. But I do. I can say that I believe that young Corey would have liked Roadhouse. I don't know if it would have. I would have like sort of loved it maybe as much as you guys do because also music didn't really doesn't really 
catch me that way like it does with you, Zach. Um, yeah. But I do know it has a lot of aspects that I would have enjoyed. Um, but I, I do think I probably liked it better now than I would have back then. But I still would have dug it. I like this uh, weird hypothetical scenario where someone has come back in time and presented you with an option where you can only watch one of two Swayze movies. You're like, you can only do one, little Corey. You're like, well, I guess it's going to be Red Dawn because that came out first, and that's all I'm going to do. And that movie's awesome. And then I will never watch another Patrick Swayze movie. I, so you, you didn't see Ghost either? You. I've seen pieces of Ghost, oh. and then I could say the other Patrick Swayze movie I've seen is Donnie Darko, but he's got a sort of a small supporting role yeah. in that. Yeah, that's 2001. You see The Outsiders? Nope, never seen The Outsiders. Oh, this nope. is interesting. Okay. Never seen, I don't think he's in it, but I've also, in that sort of vein, I've also never seen Diner either. I, is he Steel Dawn? Yeah, he's not Steel, in that Steel one. Steel Dawn? But uh, uh, Youngblood? No. you never seen Youngblood? No. He's shaking his head. No. Uh, and Steel Dawn, I, I know the, I recognize the cover in my head. I know Vestron put out a Blu-ray of Steel Dawn, I think. Um, but no, I've never well, seen that one either. This movie, though, didn't do... It wasn't like a huge success. It actually was more successful when it came out on video. That's what I was going to ask, because it seems to me that this is a success because every freaking person knows it and has seen it a million times that I talked to about it. So it, it. But it wasn't, though, you're saying? Well, I mean, it was a modest hit. Wait, have you guys, Corey, have you seen Point Break? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. yes. I've seen okay. Point Break. Okay, okay. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. And I, Dustin, right. I was doing the same thing as you. I was kind of going through in my yeah. head his, his Rolodex. I was like, I know I've seen more. But then Point Break, was it's, that's a movie I've seen like maybe, I don't know, five times, four times. Wasn't the big, biggest really? fan of that one either. Yeah. And that's an ensemble action yeah. movie. Yeah. That, I liked Gary Busey the best really? in that movie. Yeah. And I despise Keanu Reeves the most in that movie. <laughs> Um, but I love, but I love me some interesting though. War Child and 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 Bodie, obviously. <laughs> obviously, everyone think everyone thinks I named Bodie after Patrick Swayze in Point Break, which is incorrect. However, I did consider at one point naming Bodie Dalton from Roadhouse. Wow! What and did... thanks to Paul London, he says, "Well, he would have always been nice. He would have <laughs> always <true>. been nice." <laughs> I, I mean, Zach, I have a theory on this, on the naming thing. Because I feel like if you were gonna name if you were gonna name him Dalton and that was already on the table, that it that it just bears it just makes sense that of course you were thinking of Bodie from Point no. Break and then but <laughs> then like, you like it just proves it but yeah but then you were like you were like no 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 but I can't have people say that I can't have people thinking that so then you were like what else is there what else is there so then you went and you looked and you were like okay I don't know like the Bodie tree and the another thing and then you you came up with this other reason retroactively. <laughs> because when you tell the story, you don't even pronounce the Bodhisattva correctly. And you're like, I don't even know no, what I it don't. means. So the fact is, that doesn't <laughs> I mean I do anything. know what it means. No, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to you. So I feel like you've reassigned, and this is just a theory, but if Dalton was on the table, then of course Bodhi was on the table. He'd have to Dalton be Dalton was table. on the table after. No. Dalton was on the mm -hmm. table after Bodhi was no, on the No, I think this when? is a story you've told yourself and you've changed the memory. No. I think you've rewritten no. the memory to present something... In a way that you, yeah, because you have to, because it's like how we do that. No. We re rewrite memories. No, like what the Mandela effect? Um, no, that's alternate reality. Yeah. Right? Knew, well, well, Mandela, right, would be that you thought something Whatever. was the third way. You, so anyway, I, my, my wife Zach's came back like me up FB, on this. Right? 
Right. But what I'm saying is, but I'm saying is that you and Kristen have now told this story for as long as Bodhi's been alive. So of course it's yeah. going to change. You're both going to be on the same page, even though you don't remember exactly that you were watching Point Break and you were like, we got to name him Bodhi. But then you're like, I can't have that. I just can't have people thinking that. No. Right. Know, think, you know, think back. So, think back. Because no, Bodie, I, I thought Bodie Schaefer. I thought Bodie Schaefer would look really cool on an album cover. Yes, after you saw Point Break. No, after you went through Dalton <laughs> and you went through. Well, can, can I all ask? Was was Truman on the table? Because that was his name in Next of Ken. And by the way, I have seen Next of Ken. I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen. No, Tr- Truman was not on the table. <laughs> Truman, Truman Schaefer, Schaefer wasn't on doesn't, the table. <laughs> doesn't work as well. No, because I went to Bodie, and then we're, I'm like, well, no. And I, can I, and pop, Point Break did pop in my head, and I'm like, what about Dalton? Dalton oh, from Roadhouse, yeah. So, But it was always Bodie, Enlightenment. Jed? Jed from Red Dawn? No, definitely not Jed. <laughs> what about, uh, what about what was his name in, uh, what was his name in uh, Steel Dawn? Oh, he didn't have a name in that one. He, he was just Steel Dawn. Yeah. He was Nomad. Nomad <laughs> Schaefer. badass. Um, Johnny Castle. How about Black Dog? Black Black Dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Anyway, I just think. <laughs> just think this theory. Just think about my theory. Dustin just barreled right past Black Dog. He's like, I, I appreciate that, but but Dustin, you have a relationship with uh, Patrick Swayze dating back to uh, the Black Dog days, actually. The Black Dog days. Yeah. Well, I uh, I was at I was at Sundance the year that he was there uh, for both Black Dog, well, in 2001, and, and Donnie Darko, and he was there. Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, it was like the seas had parted and this, you know, majestic man came through. And what was funny was he was just everywhere in Sundance. Like I just, on the streets of Park City, Utah, wherever, wherever I was, there he was. And, um, you know, I was there shooting a pilot and he made for some great content. Um, yep. But um, yeah, but I like, like you guys, uh, obviously Red Dawn, huge movie, um, Youngblood, certainly The Outsiders. But um, yeah, but Roadhouse. What about Tiger Warsaw? I, I haven't seen that. What about... Uh, uh... Grandview, USA. Yes, I've seen that one. What about Uncommon Valor? I've I've seen that one too. Yeah. And did you see the pilot for Rent the Renegades, which was basically a television version of the Warriors? Of the Warriors, no. Luca Bercovici uh, talked about that. We've, he was in the pilot for that episode. We've for that talked show. about that one t- several times. I feel like maybe a f- several of our guests were in that. Um, um Grandel Bush was in that. Yep. Um, Brian Tochi was in that. Yep. Brian Tochi. Anyway. And Kurtwood Smith. Um, Good old Clarence Boddicker. And Brian James. I mean, it, it's got Kelly Preston. By the way, uh, Corey, talking about this show, it, The Renegades was a show I would like to bring to TV Obscura on Podcasting After Dark. However, I've been unable to find the pilot episode or ah. anything related to it. Um, before we get into anything really further media about roadhouse i just want to quickly say this episode we will be doing things that sometimes we do on podcasting after dark and because we're doing them on this episode the breakdown next week will not have 
the bells and whistles in the beginning like it normally does because we're going to do that today. Oh, and yeah. And then, you know, yeah. so that's going to streamline both and because it's a true crossover. Well, right. Yeah. It's important to say they're all companion pieces. So yes. you, you do have to listen to all of them, listeners. Um, you're going to... This is good. I feel like we normally do set this up, and um, yeah. so I think it's important to note. So yeah, so so if you're if you're over here, you listen to Two Hour Late Fee. Um, you might not be familiar with Podcasting After Dark, but you should be. Podcasting After Dark, Corey and Zach break down movies uh, piece by piece, little by little, inch by inch, uh, heart by heart. Um, heart to heart. Thunder Alley reference, Jill Sholin month. But um, but so the way this is going to work is that you're going to listen to, to us here. We're going to talk about sort of an overview of the movie. We're going to talk about the soundtrack. Then you're going to go over to Podcasting Over Dark. You're going to get the breakdown, all the specifics, all the nitty gritties. And then you're going to get an interview with Jimmy Reno himself, uh, which all three of us take part in, uh, with Marshall Teague, Mr. Uh, Where's My Throat, Um <laughs> Say goodnight, Denise. I used to f guys like you in prison, <laughs> Teague. Um, and then a and then a two dollars uh, six questions, and um, and tons of Patreon stuff on both podcasts. So I feel like I've covered that, right, guys? We're, we're are we covered? Yeah. Are we fully covered? Okay, yeah. Cover that, and then we wrap up uh, the month with Territory Marks, the wrestling show, where we will, where Paul London and I will be joined by Corey to talk about. Our favorite Terry Funk matches from when he was filming Roadhouse. So right before or right after. And then at the end of the month, too, we'll have uh, Dustin on Wrap Up After Dark. And it'll be, yeah, an entire month. Uh, both feeds. Everything's going to be on both feeds. So we're going to go bat- boom, 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 boom. But it's going to be an entire month of Roadhouse. And I am super excited. I am I think it's, I love all of our crossovers. I love The Wraith. And I loved, uh, you know, Carly Davis and the Marlboro Man. And I can still say it. Marlboro. Marlboro. Yeah, you can nope. say it now. Nope, I fucked it up. <laughs> Marlboro. 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 But uh, it kind of, it feels like it was always leading up to an entire month. Like, because The Wraith was like one episode or like one and a half. And then Marlboro Man was like two. And then now it's like, yeah, it's always been leading up to an entire month. So I love it. I think this is fantastic. And I have a... Uh, so many things that I want to talk about uh, about this movie with you guys. Now, Corey, am I correct in saying that so far you've only watched it one time? Correct. All the as way of, through. Yeah, as of now, and, and we are recording this episode super early, so I've only seen it once. I'm going to try to watch it again. I want to show, show my wife because she didn't get a chance to watch it, and then I'll do the breakdown. So I do plan on getting another funsies, funsies viewing in and then start the breakdown, and that'll probably take me about – three sittings and everything, but I, I'll try to condense it as much as possible to have Dustin uh, uh, survive. But uh, you made it through. The well, other ones. yeah, you made it through all. No, I guess I, I guess for me, I'm just pointing. I want to put a spotlight on the fact that you were getting you in kind of the before the fresh yes. legs. Yes. And then as the month evolves, maybe, maybe yeah. thoughts will change or you're, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> fatigue, yeah. uh, you'll have seen it, you know, three to four times. 
Um, yeah. You'll have different. <laughs> yeah, who knows? So who the hell knows? Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. I only have one viewing down, and I have been listening to the Jeff Healy band for about three hours before uh, our our discussion here, and uh, I'd say about two and a half hours of that were just. When the night comes comes falling or whatever it was, the main one from Roadhouse. I listened to that probably two hours straight. That song is a banger. I I adore it at this point. Amazing. I mean, yeah, that one plays uh, over the credits. Yes, over the uh, the denouement, the uh, triumphant uh, <laughs> skinny dipping. <laughs> yep. It, well, and it also plays on the the menu too, the Blu-ray menu. So right when you pop it in, ah. it starts playing. So I was like, even when I was like getting yes. ready, I was like, I was like, yeah, this is. I assumed I was like, okay, this is probably because I know Zach said, you know, what's we're gonna talk about Jeff Ely and everything, and I was like, okay, but and I'll elaborate on this a little bit later. I didn't know what he looked like, so I was a little bit confused at the beginning of the movie. But we'll we'll talk about that, you know, when we get to the freeform discussion. First of all, that scene at the end of the movie is I've never seen anything like that where the entire song. And the entire performance plays out the entire credits. Yeah. It's not just fading into black. It goes over the entire credit sequence, which I thought was really special. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, yeah, we let's talk about Jeff Healy really quick. It's really, so, really special use of I mean, credit sequence. I think it's special it's unique, you know, <laughs> definitely unique. He he's a Canadian blues guitarist who was blind at birth. And he really didn't hit the scene until the late eighties. Not at I birth. Believe. Not at birth. Point of order. Eighteen Sorry, months. Right. Eighteen months. Eighteen months. As a baby. Did, as, did as something a baby. happen, or he was had, it like a he genetic had cancer? Thing? He had a oh he had shit a retinal cancer. Okay. And and he did not die of retinal cancer, but he did die of cancer. Um, he's in dead. 19, yeah, oh, he is dead. I'm sorry, Corey. Yes. At, at the age of forty-one. <laughs> Zach didn't say rest in peace initially, so that probably threw it off. Um, Big rips, man. I didn't even know. Big rips, yeah. He died of lung cancer. Shit. So, uh, yeah. So not only was you know he had a rough start, and then he obviously had, he died at the age of forty one. He was forty one yeah. years old. Frack! Wow. I mean, that's that's insane. That's I, I'm devastated at yeah, the moment, guys. You don't you don't just... understand the roller coaster I've had in the past twenty four hours with this. I am devastated right now. Yeah, he's he's a really. I think he was always underappreciated. I don't think this movie like catapulted him into the success that maybe it should have. Um, he had a uh, he had a top ten hit with the song called Angel Eyes. Mm. Uh, it hit number five, I think, that on the Billboard American charts. was off his i think it's his first album it was off off his first album which is called um see the light you know he only put out five albums before he passed away and the guy is just like i think he's a freaking tour de force in the film like he he can act really well and watching him play his ass off and we know thanks to marshall teague that they was really playing in certain scenes you know uh it's just phenomenal stuff i mean 
so I'll tell my story. So I'm watching the movie. I don't know Jeff Healy at all. Um, you guys all know on Podcast After Dark, uh, I, I talk about it a lot. I'm not as musically inclined as Zach is, so I don't pay attention to these things as much. So I'm watching the movie. First band that comes on, and I'm like, oh, okay, uh, Jeff Healy looks a little bit like Tito and Tarantula. Kind of sounds like him too, but um, sure, okay. So the movie keeps going, and that's my assumption at that time. The movie keeps going, and then you know they get to the new, the different bar, and you got a blind blonde dude playing, and I'm like, I was like, I'm like. I don't know who this blind kid is, but he's amazing. And I'm like, I want to see more of him. And so I'm like, I'm bopping along with his stuff, assuming that he's not Jeff Healy. And then he kind of like, somebody calls him by name and I, I kind of go to the bathroom and I look on IMDb and I'm like, that's Jeff Healy. And then I go scroll a little further. And I'm like, I was right. It was Tito and Tarantula at the beginning. I And I was like proud of myself. Or is it not the whole band? Is it just Tito? So it's Tito, the lead singer, Tito LaRiva, yeah. and the band was the Cruzados. Ah, uh, okay, so it wasn't Tito and Tarantula. Then. You love me, buy me a big TV. You good for nothing, lazy chill. But he later, I think a, a year or so after this came out, is when Tito and Tarantula were formed. Okay. And then we see him a few years later in From Dust Till Dawn. Which I totally think that, and I was just talking to Marshall Teague about this, I think that Robert Rodriguez was heavily influenced by the fact that this band continues to play through all the chaos yeah, going on yeah. because Tito and Tarantula does that. Yes. And then to the point that they become vampires as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, but going back to the Jeff Healy discussion again, not knowing that that was him. My first thought was like, who's this blonde white kid with like so much soul and like so much talent with his, you know what he's the, the slide guitar that he's playing like on his, on his knees. He's like sitting on lap, down yeah. on his lap. He's sitting down and playing it. I was blown away and I didn't even know that that was him until like halfway through the movie. And then I really started paying attention to the Cody character as the movie went, went along. Mm -hmm. And the original bar was called the Titty Twister, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and I think the double deuce was originally called the double douche. Mm -hmm. At least that's what Wade calls it at the one double point. Double douche. <laughs> I love that. Um, the double. Okay. Applebee's. So, so let's talk a little bit about the cast overall uh before we get into like general discussions do you guys ever do a synopsis do you ever do do you do, you do that oh yeah because we do that Corey, what would you say or dustin what would you how would you describe this movie to Corey if you've <laughs> never seen it he just shifted he just goes nope dustin you so Corey, you know because Cor just saw this i'm trying to balance um, it I'm trying to balance no but the the thing is is like this um this movie is kind of like a western you know what I mean? It's like the guy that that go. You know, it's 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 kind of old school in its in its premise of like, you know, you've got this. He's called a cooler. Patrick Swayze is a cooler, and what does that mean? It's kind of like he's a bouncer, but he's more than a bouncer. He's a he's a, he oversees everything in the bar. You know, he's kind of like. Did you guys ever see Bar Rescue? Uh, John Taffer, the, the reality show. It's like no. I'm familiar. John with Taffer's this guy that comes in and like rehabs these terrible bars and just yells at everybody. And it's like my way or the highway. It's kind of like that 
seeing this, you know, seeing this recently, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like Bar Rescue. You got a, a failing bar, you call in a cooler, and uh, Patrick Swayze is Dalton. And Dalton is legendary. And it's this world in which everybody, presumably like across the entire country, knows of Dalton's legend as the man you don't mess with. Everybody thinks like, oh man, I thought you'd be taller, right? Because he's a guy, he's a beast of a man in his legend. He comes in, kicks ass, cleans house, um, oversees the bouncers, trains everybody. He's he's very philosophical. He has a he has a a mantra. He has a way of looking at, you know, his life is is chaotic always. Um, but the basic premise here is that um, we uh, Kevin Kevin Tig, uh, who you know, not to just kind of jump into the cast, but many people know him yeah. from emergency and he's super creepy. He always makes really creepy faces and you're like, that guy's totally a pedophile. And on my, you know, on uh <laughs> law and order SVU, he usually is <laughs> yeah. um, on many episodes, oh, wow. okay. but, but, but not, but not a convicted. No, 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 not, not, not. I just mean he plays <laughs> these characters that are always kind of looking at you really creepily. Yeah. Like if yeah. you're a woman, you're like, Oh, stop it. But he yeah. hires Dalton. He says, look, I've got this, I've got this bar. Uh, it's in Jasper, Missouri. It's this fictional town. I've put a lot of money into it. I want to make a better life for myself. I need you to come in and kind of clean up the riffraff. And of course, Patrick Swayze doesn't even give it a, Dalton doesn't even give it a thought, you know, right? He's just like, he just fires off. This is what I need from you. $500 a night, $5,000 up front, and you're going to pay for all medical expenses. And the guy's like, great, great deal. You know, got you a plane ticket. I don't, I don't, I don't take planes. All right. So he's going to drive. Um, and thus begins his foray into the town of Jasper, Missouri and the lawlessness, the, the, there's, there's one man who runs the town. He runs everything about the town. Brad Wesley played by Ben Gazzara. And, um, and it's, and it's about Dalton's pride, his, his standing up for the little man, his ability to overcome uh, evil, greed, and uh, and does he do it? Question mark. Yeah, yeah. So that's not really an ele- elevator pitch, but it's it's a no. Synopsis. But that's a great synopsis. I, what I like about this film is it it sets everything up in the first fifteen minutes, and then you just go. You know everything. This feels like episodic television at its best, like we're watching the pilot episode of a future television series. And I mean that in the highest compliment. I don't mean that in a silly way. Uh, no, but, but not to interrupt you, but you could absolutely make a series where this cooler just goes from town to town and all of the misadventures. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I like the whole cooler concept of it, but we'll, we'll talk more about that on the on the you know the general discussion but to kind of stay on the cast and crew you mentioned Kevin Tig you know and and how he sort of has this propensity to play scummy people i'm watching that movie with sort of that same you know knowledge in my head already yeah same and i thought he was going to be the bad guy yeah he's not same. like the whole time i'm yeah, waiting for him to turn <laughs> yes. heel yes. as zach would say you know and <laughs> yes. and as only Zach would say, and uh, but it doesn't happen, and I was a little bit shocked by that. But that I realized that was only my own preconceived notions of that actor, essentially. Well, sure. well, and the fact that as soon as he walks into that first bar, the one where Tito is playing, 
he looks right at some lady's breasts and then the camera moves over. And I think that might have also <laughs> informed me that he was a little sleazy, but I don't think that was supposed to be his character's POV. I think, you know what I mean? I think that his right. character was just assessing the situation and that was kind of weird wonky editing to have his gaze go right to that woman's <laughs> chest. And I was like, okay, so he's a scumbag, but he's not. That's what sort of threw me off. Yes, I, t- I totally agree. He's he's doing a little a little gaping, a little a little gawking. <laughs> gaping. gaping. He's he's just he, he's like his eyes are very. He's just he's just creepy. He's just yeah. creepy as he's got those eyes. <laughs> um, I, I want to point out too that you mentioned the editing. The editing was uh, Frank uh, Uriost. <laughs> I don't know Uriost. Uriost. Frank Uriost edited this. Frank Iriost and John F. Link together, and those guys worked together on Die Hard, Commando, RoboCop, Total Recall, as Corey likes to say, Basic Instinct, Predator, Tombstone. I mean, I just listed off- Tombstone. I still got one good arm to hold you with. I mean, I listed off seven movies there that all are on somebody's favorite list, Yeah, you know, for, for 80s and 90s movies. Yeah, no, that's that's that pedigree. That's amazing right there. And I, I honestly, I didn't have any problem with the editing. It just, it kind of that informed something in my head and that in those early shots. And that's you know that's the job of the editor and everything to to kind of tell you what what you should see, be like looking at and all this kind of stuff. So you know, it just it's it was odd to me that his character didn't turn out sleazy when they kind of portrayed that. But again, that was through editing, not through technically his acting. I think though too that this film, like it's it's a sexy movie in 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 not in a necessarily sleazy way. Like they, there's a lot. There is a level of exploitation where you know women are taking their tops off and guys are gawking at them and freaking out. But it's but it's almost on the border of not parody but comedy. There's like a comedic element throughout this whole film. Brad Wesley's guys are goofs. They're idiots, you know, and and when they get their asses handed to them, one guy in particular who gets crushed by a bear, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's so comical. And Ben Gaz- Brad Wesley's interaction with his men is comical. The only people who are not comical are Dalton, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy and Wade and the doc, really like to overall, I'd say, yeah. you know, of the of the main stars of the film. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, you've got the main villain driving down the road at one point, swerving his car, <laughs> singing his, like, you know, uh, 60s doo wop song, and, you know, practically just making an ass out of himself. And you have to laugh at that. You know, it's, it's just buffoonery. Yeah. You do. And I love that. <laughs> I, I, so I think, too, it, it's worth noting that, um, Besides, the, the cast is pretty ridiculous in this film, like down to like small little details of supporting actors that you wouldn't necessarily blink at. And you're like, oh, but that guy, like, for example, um, uh, Red West, who plays Red, <laughs> that guy was he was Elvis, one of Elvis's guys in his band. Mm-hmm. Oh, no shit. OK. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, no, I don't. I mean, <laughs> but but Ben Gazzara, I think people would recognize from Big Lebowski, modern fans. But he's a uh, he's a Cassavetti's mainstay back in the day. He's uh, he was in a movie which has one of the, my favorite titles of all time, "The Killing of a Chinese Bookie," yeah. which is a Cassavetti's film. I've heard mm-hmm. of that one. Uh, he's been in countless 
films where he's played a very similar type. Um, Marshall Teague has a very fun story about working with yeah. Ben on set, uh, which you'll hear in a couple weeks. But I, I was going to say that Kelly Lynch, who plays Doc, she's just, I, I from the moment I saw her, I thought she was cool. Like she has an air about her that just like doesn't ooze. She oozes confidence and just uh, and and which I don't think you saw a whole lot of in movies like this. Mm. I I very much enjoyed her in this. They did do that whole trope of give her like put her hair in a ponytail and give her giant glasses to hide the fact that she's clearly a stunning model you know and it's just like no no she's wearing glasses she's a nerd i was like oh oh that trope um but i i found her to be enjoyable in the movie um i don't have much experience with her personally uh obviously but uh movie wise i I, nothing really like stands out that i used to watch her in back in the day that i can see you never saw cocktail uh, honestly, I have not. I don't think I've seen that one. No, is is that the one? It's in the way that you use, or is that the color of money? That's no. color of yeah, money. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you're. Th- that's the. Uh, I'm in Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I wanna <laughs> take you to the <laughs> Um, their hairstyles. It's almost so like she and Patrick have. Very complimentary mullets, really. <laughs> yes, um, they do. They do. They kind of both have them. They're both incredibly hairsprayed up, their product. And when they're both on screen, it's like you can't can't really look away from the hair. Um, because the no. hair itself in both of them is kind of like it's its own personality or its own um, thing. And obviously, you know, we mentioned that we mentioned Patrick Swayze's buttocks. It's like between the hair and the buttocks. Um, I I don't know that I up to that point had ever encountered like a man's, a man's butt um, of that caliber on screen for sure. No one had right. No, you normally like a, like there's like a fat hairy ass or something yeah. you catch in a movie, but this is like a sculpted movie and to, and a sculpted butt into the point where like in a lot of his scenes and, and, Zach, you were mentioning um, Kathleen um, Will Hoyt. Will Hoyt, Carrie. You know, she at one point comes in to give to give Dalton breakfast. How, how did you find me? He seems a little annoyed to see her, and then he gets out of bed. He, he's completely naked because, of course, Dalton sleeps nude, right? He has yeah, to. Yeah. Like I, I do. So well, why not him? Why not him? Gets up, pulls up his jeans, and the camera makes that conscious choice to go right to his beautiful butt, and um. And have a reaction shot of, of Kathleen being like, ooh, like so so I'm trying to bring it back to this idea that like, you know, it's for women, it's for men. Like this movie does it, it has very deliberate things as far as who this is for and specific winks and like, right? Well, we get that sweet pubic hair shot of Sam Elliott, and that was all for Doc, and she was like, "Ooh, you know." Oh, right. Hair. And he's showing up, hair. showing he's off showing his, that scar, his yeah, scar. That scar, and it's just like full on pubic right. hair. And I'm like, I was like, you know what? That's that's pretty manly, right? As someone who grooms, I was like, <laughs> that looks pretty manly. All right, maybe I'll grow mine out. 
Well, uh, let's not forget the fact that Sam Elliott was like a pinup looking dude back in the day. He did a movie yeah. called Lifeguard, which was one of his first right. movies he ever made. And he's walking around in a banana hammock through most of that movie. So, uh, like on paper, like his mouth and stuff, you would think it doesn't work, but the man is gorgeous. And that well, head of hair, hair is on freaking real, man. I want that hair. I want that Everyone hair where you can does. pull it back in that cool <laughs> top samurai ponytail thing you know i would i would be so much cooler if i had that hair yeah it's a very nice segue into sam la just in the sense of um you know for me as i'm watching this i have no i, I kept thinking like everyone's calling him uh old right we, we've alluded yeah. to him he's he's getting old he's getting up there in the cooler world he's he's the, the best cooler in the business but he's old he's clearly yeah. a mentor to dalton but um right many people call him grandpa or dad right uh <laughs> He gets Terry Funk calls him, you know, or, or uh, mind your own business, dad, at yeah. some point. And I'm like, I have no idea how old Sam Elliott is or supposed to be. I really don't know. Right. Because he could be any any age like he could be. Right. Um, we know him just as older from our own perceptions. He's older than we are. But he was 44. Uh, he when was our, my age. But wow. When he when he. When he shot this, and that's the same age also as Kevin Ty, as Tillman, as is wow, wow. So those two guys <laughs> are the same age, which feels very strange. I believe uh, he's eight years older than uh, Patrick Swayze, too. Right, right. I believe I believe it that that is accurate. And so uh, you're just looking at this guy, and he looks fucking you know fantastic. Silver Fox, yeah, and yeah. uh, every sense of that word, right? He's just like. Um, but just the fact like that, that's how old he actually was. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a 44 year old and 88. That's a man, you know, this is a, look at me. I'm a 45 year old in 2020. <laughs> I look like a boy. I look, <laughs> he looks like a man. You wouldn't put me next to him and be like, those two are men right there. You'd be like, no, Sam Elliott, right. that's the man. No one would be calling like, like get out of the way, dad. Like, no, yeah. you know, they wouldn't, you know, grandpa or any number of age-related uh, insults that are tossed his way. Well, Terry Funk's younger than him, and but Terry Funk had lived a hardcore life up until that point. Uh, and I mean that in the physical sense, that he was putting his body through hell uh, as a professional wrestler. And we'll talk more about him when we do territory marks, but, uh, but, but, you know, he's, he's also a big dude as well. Everybody's a big dude in here. And Dalton, when they make that joke about him being, I thought you would be bigger. I thought you'd be taller or whatever. It reminded me of snake, snake Plissken and yep. escape from New York. Yep. And then the connection there being, um, the cinematographer, uh, Dean Cundy, <laughs> Dean Cundy, <laughs> Dean Cundy, of course, who did like, some of Carpenter's best films. And if you'd like to know more about that, check out podcasting after dark's Patreon, the Carpenter factor, patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. And while you're at it, check out patreon.com slash $2 late fee for <laughs> exclusive content. Um, but no, but, but Dean Cundy, you know, when I saw his name pop up in the credits, I'm like, Oh, I forgot that he did the cinematography for this. And it makes sense because it's beautifully shot. And those butt shots are beautiful. Um, special and, lens for that. You know? Yeah. Right. But, but I do, I, I, I echo what you're saying, Dustin, like it, it's, it's very balanced. I feel like it's very balanced with the, how, how they deal with the uh, sexuality and, and the, the appeal of, of stuff like that in the movie. 
Um, I also wanted to point out really quickly that Kelly Lynch, because it was on the tip of my tongue. I'm like, there's a movie she's she was in. Was it her first movie? It was her first movie. It's called Osa. And it's a sci-fi flick that came out way back mm. when. And it's also got Bill Mosley in it. He plays, I think it's one of his first movies he ever did. Um, it came out in 86. He plays Quilt Face. Bill Mosley, of course, we love him from uh, Chop Top and Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Yeah. So I just had to point that out. Drugstore yeah. Cowboy. Um, that's, that's dr- yeah, big one. D- Drugstore Cowboy, yeah. Desperate Hours is yeah. another great one. If you want to see, see Anthony Hopkins and Mickey Rourke before Mickey Rourke butchered his face, uh, and he was he was a, a really was a quality great actor. That's maybe one of his last really good movies he ever did, Desperate Hours. Uh, yeah, Kelly Lynch has actually been her body of work is pretty phenomenal too. With like some of the movies she's been in, um, and but but then like supporting actors, of course, Marshall Teague. You're gonna hear his story in two weeks, and we'll save all that for later. What? What we loved about him in his career, because he's actually had a much bigger career than I think people necessarily think he has. And he plays Jimmy, Jimmy he Reno. Plays Jimmy, yeah. and the, like the so badass. Yeah. I forgot though in the movie, it within the first what twenty minutes when Dalton moves into his barn house across the river is where Brad Wesley's house is, literally across the river. Across yeah. the river. and they're having a party. And I'm like, oh, Jimmy's jumping in the water too, like when with his speedo on. And I'm like, this is like a happy time. There, yeah. and he's got a big Dalton's got a big smile on his face because he has no idea who these people are at the moment. Yep. Yeah, about to find out soon. Uh, I thought that was interesting, like to see such a sit like a I don't know a goofy side of these guys who pretty soon are going to be like mean bastards. Well. Sometimes the tone of this movie was kind of all over the place. For example, the the climax when that one fat guy gets like knocked out by the polar bear is kind of goofy. But it's Austin Powers moment. It's it is. It's it's very much like an Austin Powers kind of moment. And but then it's juxtaposed with this violent, you know, uh, gang style murder sort of of the bad guy, almost like a a, a, a you know like kind of like a lynching as you, as yeah. you, you know. It's it's. I was like. I was like, okay, what's like, what's the moral here type of thing? But at the same time, tonally, it was a little off, I thought, as well. Um, yeah, maybe it won't matter to me in, in repeat viewings, but it was just something I noticed at the beginning, or for my first viewing, I should say. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a there's a moralist feeling to this film overall, you well, know, and, except, and, for, and Pat, except for Dalton. Dalton is supposed to be the moral of it. But like, you know, not to jump ahead to the very end, but when the main bad guy just gets straight up gunned down by everyone in town and they all kind of vouch. And so I'm like, this feels very cold blooded to me, you know, like, I don't know. It just yeah. it felt like, is this the right way to resolve like your 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 disputes, you know? Right. Well, when you look at the town of Jasper, Missouri, it is a, it is a lawless town, which kind of gives it that yeah. Western feel like there right. is no the law is under the control of of. Brad Wesley, right? He's got he's got so much power, and like the, this guy increasingly just does not give a fuck. And we realize how how dire things are in the town where he's, you know, he's not only sort of um, uh, he's offering the town people that classic I'm give you protection in exchange for you know a percentage of your money. You're gonna you're gonna pay me, and then he just. You know, whether it's partially because he's jealous of Patrick Swayze being involved with uh, Kelly Lynch's character with the doc or, you know, whether he just likes things a certain way and the power's kind of shifted a little bit. And he's here to remind you, like, 
I'm the fucking guy. You know, he's blowing up. He's just blowing up businesses in the middle of the day. He's just destroying car dealerships. You have insurance. Ha 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 ha. And you're like, who the fuck is going to stand up for these people? Part of me is like, why is it Patrick Swayze's job? Why, you know, like he's not getting paid enough to, (laughs) to make this his problem. But of course, uh, you know, he grows to love these townspeople and that's kind of the, like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, I'm going to save you. Right. But he's not the one that kills the main bad guy at the end, which is, is interesting. It's like everyone else guns him down. And, and it's sort of like at a moment where, yeah, he draws the gun on Patrick Swayze, but he just, you know, the tropes that you expect, you expect Patrick Swayze to dive, grab the gun, shoot him back. Cause it's justified mm-hmm. here. The man just gets spun around, uh, you know, by, by different people shooting him with the shotgun. And I'm like, I don't know. I was just like, is that really what you want to see your good guys do at the end? Just gun somebody down that they don't. Yes, he kept them under his heels, but it's, I don't know. That that was just me. I, I enjoyed the blood packets, right. the squibs in it and everything. But I was just like a little bit like it kind of it kind of made this barrier between me sort of feeling sorry for those now the new like elders of the town type of thing. Like, yeah, I didn't quite feel sorry for them anymore because they just killed this man in cold blood. Sure, but they're taking back their power. I mean, they have to, you know. Yeah, I, he's, I just, he's yeah. neutered them. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I do get it. And they also set up the fact that he owned the cops, and so there's nothing they could do. I get a, I, I got a sense of desperation at the end that this was the only choice that that, that they could make. The, in the same way that Swayze's only choice is Dalton to, well, I mean. I don't know about throat punching the guy, but, you know, he he had no choice but to kill uh, Jimmy because Jimmy was going to kill him. Well, and I also think it's not to harp on this and just really dive into it. But I also think it's the fact that once Red kind of gets rid of the guns and the cop comes, they're all like, I I didn't see anything. (laughs) I didn't see anything either. I'm like, you guys are very happy about the fact that you just killed somebody in cold blood. It just felt weird. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the kind of I don't want to say parody, but there's there is like a comical because on on one level, if this movie came out in the seventies, it would be a straight up exploitation film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, for there's sure. a there's a movie with um, uh, Nick Nolte and Don Johnson where they go to this little town, um, uh, Macon County Line. It's called Return to Macon County Line. It's a sequel to Macon County Line. If you've never seen Macon County Line, it's about these two kids on the road who pick up a hitchhiker and they wind up in this town and the town is who's the son on Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, not, not Jed, but his son, right. The, uh, Jed Clampett's son. Well, isn't there like a, like a cousin? Yeah. Was it the cousin? I, I, or is I think there a young boy? It's the young, the it's the young, like strapping guy in Beverly Hillbillies, the television show. Right. Um, it, and he ended up Jasper? becoming like the, is there a cousin I, Jasper? Was it Jasper? Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, that guy is like the lead sheriff, and this movie becomes suddenly like, well, you're not leaving this town because they pull some shit in the town, you know? And it becomes really dark really fast. Uh, Jethro. I think you're talking about Jethro. Jethro. He was in Mason County line, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so uh, that's the vibe, like, once you're in this town, it's so in the middle of nowhere. Where only like the FBI won't go out there, right, to investigate anything if anything ever got serious. There's probably demons buried everywhere, so they all got to handle their own shit. And that movie does not end how you would expect it, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I like if this movie came out in the '70s, I feel like it would have a similar vibe. Like, 
we've got no choice but to do this. And, the, and the, But this one's the 80s moving into the 90s. And it's like, well, we're coming. We're in this time of like, well, there's got to be a happy ending. Everything's got to be wrapped up really neat. You know, we're naked in the water at the end. We get to see Patrick Swayze's blurred wang yeah. and, uh, you know, his <laughs> <Yes>. butt. And <laughs> one, more, <laughs> one more sex scene. Yeah, uh, I think I think the one thing is that's kind of interesting. Are you going to pull out the Roadhouse Calendar from no? In this Vinegar Syndrome, they have a book, uh, okay. and in the book, there's a bunch of pictures. It's really beautiful of his done, ass. Of They're course, all pictures yeah. of Patrick Swayze's well, no. ass. That's that's the end picture of like uh-huh. them kissing in the water. <laughs> but it's a there's a yeah, it's got some cool little anecdotes from film reviewers. It's and filthy, such, but, filthy um, pond water. Or lake water. Oh, nowadays you'd get some sort of virus in your brain. Uh, you yeah, had, for sure. You that flesh eating virus. Any kind of wound, you would not dive in there naked. You know, no, if you had a fresh no. shotgun wound, you're like, let's keep it keep it dry, baby. But uh I think for me, I think um, you know, the one thing uh overall when we talk about tone, it's like the fact that this is essentially a bouncer taking on an army of, you know. 10 guys by himself um you know i almost wish there was a little bit of a a justification given as little special forces a little some a little something to throw in the fact that like obviously he's got skills when it relates to the bar but you know uh infiltrating a compound <laughs> gives you yeah, another level all we know is that he uh killed somebody already yeah Right, and, and he's got a degree in philosophy. Yeah, he's, li- he's a little from NYU. He's a little tortured, and yeah, and he has a philosophy degree from NYU. <laughs> and then after he kills Jimmy, I realized he's LaFour's. He's got two confirmed kills. <laughs> <laughs> and a sweet car too, by the way. I wanted his car with those headlights. You know, they blow up his BMW or he blow, he blows up his BMW. And I'm like, that's okay, because I want the other car <laughs> instead. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was super cool that he drives around like a beater while he puts his, you know, Mercedes in, you know, like a garage or something. Whenever he goes to a new town, the Mercedes like is, is like his car. But every new town he goes to, he buys these like beaters because he knows he's just going to get fucked with. Yep. And I was like, that is such a cool thing that you didn't. And I do. I love that they didn't explain that you just you figure that and you're like oh that's that's genius that's that's smart and then of course the first night you know he does his thing and his car gets trashed because he you know fires a bunch of people at the bar and everything and i was like i was like i love that kind of world building um where you don't explain it but you show it and then you you know the viewer figures it out i think that's just super cool i love that kind of stuff and then throw in uh you know his barn apartment and i was like oh man Add this to all the other awesome apartments that we've seen in 80s movies. Uh, Jack Death's apartment in Trancers was super cool. Um, The apartment in uh, uh, Ninja 3, The Domination was super cool. And I just, I kind of miss that. And I'm sure it still happens, but I just, I for some reason really notice it in the 80s. Like lead characters just get these super cool apartments, and I'm just like, man, that's awesome. I love that. So, so add this one to the list because I thought this was super cool. I'm gonna call out one thing though that the only maybe one of the only things I had a problem the with the lack in this of movie. mosquitoes. Yes, <laughs> there would be no way in hell those two were not covered in mosquitoes. <laughs> was that what you were gonna bring up for real? Yes, oh my God, exactly dude, yeah. what I was gonna bring up. I was like up. naked, open door, like the bugs would be eating you alive, man. 
and how the smell of manure doesn't turn off Doc, you know, essentially. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so that's th- those are the things you'd see as a kid and you're like, or a teenager, and go, oh my gosh, I'm going to go find this fictional town in Jasper and, and, and meet a girl and blah, blah, blah. And like, no, it's not going to work that way, dude. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. <laughs> Mm-mm. Can we call out Steve, by the way? Can we call out Steve, played by uh, Gary Hudson? Steve is one of the funniest characters in the movie, where he's uh, he's a, he's one of the bouncers and <laughs> he gets fired for just making uh, one of the women there his Saturday night thing. Oh yes, his underage, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I I liked his bouncers, the one that the ones that stayed, you know. And I, I did too. Yeah. I liked how he had a team. I like how. He wasn't doing everything himself, and, and up until the end, sort of when he's fighting the bad guys and everything, uh, he's kind of doing that himself a little bit. But for the most part, I like how much the team worked with him when he was getting rid of people and he was you know fighting people, and he kind of let his team guys do things first, like sort of his cannon fodder. But I like the fact that he also watched their back. He didn't try to let them get hurt or anything like that. I enjoyed that aspect of it. He didn't... He didn't come in there like a cowboy, which I was kind of expecting. He comes in here and he's like, he makes that famous speech about being nice. And I thought that was super cool. I was like, I like that. speech is gold. It still holds up today. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. Still holds up today. I thought that was cool. And then I I liked how the bouncers that stay, like he sort of trains them and they get, you see them get better as well. I like that. I thought that was really, again, it, this movie has these, all these awesome little micro world building moments. Like he doesn't, there's no point in time where he says like, oh, my philosophy is to also train these other bouncers. But like, you can tell that's what his philosophy is. You can tell that he, it's not just there to clean up and be a cooler, but he's also there to train them as well. And, you know, when he leaves, they're supposed to be better off than they were when he came and be able to handle themselves and everything. And I like that juxtaposition. I like seeing that change over time because as, you know, and then as they changed, the bar changed as well over time, which was a very video game element. Like, you know, you do <laughs> right. something in the story yes. and then your, your home, like your Grand base Theft of Auto operation. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it kind of gets better, you know, yeah. type of thing. It becomes, yeah. it becomes an Applebee's, obviously successful well, Applebee's. You called that out earlier and you nailed it on the head. That is this freaking TGI Fridays, if I've ever seen it, uh, or any of those chain stores. But, but there, you know, one character, the Jack, he's the heavy set bouncer. That character in other movies would be a bully. Yeah. Or he would be but, a guy who gets his ass kicked. And there's something about, there's like a warmth to these guys. Yes. They're like young guys. Yeah. The, the ones and, that stay all yeah. like, it's like three or four of them. The, the heavier guys, one of them. Yeah. I liked them every time they were on screen. They were all very likable. And I thought the same thing as you. Um, I was expecting the heavier one to sort of maybe be a jerk or something, but no, he, the ones that he doesn't fire, I like them. They turn out good, you know? Yeah, and I also want to point out too, you know, Dalton has overall, I think overall he has a sense of nobility, a sense of uh he's he's clearly supposed to be the good guy period with a shady background. Wade is kind of not like a good guy. He's he's a mentor to Dalton, but he's kind of a scumbag too where he's like making moves on Doc and like, you know, another place or another time, you know, kind of thing. Right. 
I don't, but I think that tracks with who he is. People who work the bar scene and have been in the bar all their life and have seen terrible things. Like it makes sense that he is, I'm not bashing his character. No, he's, I'm just he's saying the like, realistic one because that's what makes, yes. that's what makes Dalton stand out so much as this like philosopher, uh, combatant type of thing, uh, doing you know, Tai Chi. Yeah. And, and stuff yeah. like that. That's, that's what makes him stand out. But I agree with you. Wade is clearly how the realistic way a, a character like that would turn out. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And probably the the same end <laughs> meet the same end. I mean, sad to say, yeah. yeah. But he really is. I mean, he really is one of the arguably the most likable character. I mean, Wade. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Totally. Oh, he oozes. I mean, because he oozes charisma, and then that's you don't dislike you like you. Yeah, he's the guy. You're like, yeah, you're a bad boy, but there's something about you that I like. Yeah. Because even when he's hitting on Doc, it's got a it's got a little tongue in cheek. It's got a little. I'm not serious, but if you agreed, I probably wouldn't kick you out of bed. Type. Of right. Thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a yeah. I can't I can't say any more to that. <laughs> um, and then of course John Doe. John Doe's in it. Uh, he's a legendary punk rocker, but I love him from Boogie Nights. And my ex-wife deals in pornography, sir. Um, <laughs> I'm an actor. Uh, you know he's he's such a scumbag in this. I forgot his relationship with Brad Wesley at first. I was like, oh, he's he's uh, the son, right? But then Brad Wesley does a really good job of like defining the relationships with everybody. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. like, Oh, he's my idiots or my sister's son or whatever. And then even with, um, even with Denise played by Julie Michaels, who we called out in, being in Dr. Mordred, um, you know, he even gives a little bit of her backstory too. And which tracks like make sure she's basically, uh, you know, she's indebted to him. Yeah. She's basically his, his, uh, property, unfortunately. Um, and she's great. She's great. Like as far as I think in many other movies, there would just be a girl who gets naked and that's it. But she, there's like a, there's a depth there, especially in the scene where she's working out and she, she has the huge bruise on her mm-hmm. face. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, you're like, you have a, a lot of sympathy for this character. You do. Although she's, yeah, you don't really know what her story is because she's so uh, just throwing herself at Dalton. She's, you know, yeah, she's with Jimmy. She lives in Brad Wesley's house. Yeah, she's, I mean, she really is. Um, the whole character of, of John Doe, the, 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 the bartender, I mean, it's one of those characters where you're like, why doesn't Brad Wesley just give him a job? Like, why, why is it so important that he works at this bar? That yeah, he's skimming yeah. money from point. and everyone's so, you know, like Dalton, you shouldn't have done that. And he's like, he was skimming. He's like, yeah, but it's going to be trouble. And he's like, oh, like, um, why does this matter? The wealthiest man in town could give his idiot nephew a job at any number of locations. Well, um, because is Brad Wesley kind of an idiot too at the same time? Like he's got a, is yeah. there something about him too? That's not totally brilliant well that that's what i sort of took especially at you know that part where he's singing and and driving his car life could be a dream like shaboom i think he's he's gotten lax in his comfort as being top dog there and i got the sense that he sort of got there maybe by nepotism like maybe inherited money or something i didn't see him 
as like this made man type of guy. Like, like he pulled himself up from the bootstraps. You know, I think he would have been a bit more, um, you know, formidable at the end. I think he was just a rich dude who was controlling the town with his handful of goons that were, you know, none of his goons were all that great because they were just goons. And I think if he was better, like if he pulled himself up from the bootstraps, he would have had better goons around him. Um, so he's not he's not small town mafios, which is where he is small town mafia, he, where he doesn't have a syndicate. Yeah, he doesn't have a syndicate. He's just a, a solo small town mafia. Um, and who was that big freaking ogre dude? Is that is that Michael Ryder? Is that O'Connor? That was on his crew, the big yeah. tall guy. Well, O'Connor's the 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 you you bleed, O'Connor. Yeah, and he punches yeah. him in the face. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry, goon. boss. Yeah, that that, that guy. Goon. I'm I'm sorry, boss. Yeah, it just uh-huh. it seems like if he was better, if if uh, Wesley was was you know better at what he did, he would have had better goons, and maybe that's why Dalton was able to win in the end. <laughs> I, I'm gonna point out I, I could be wrong, uh, and and we'll, we'll obviously we'll cover this in the breakdown. But didn't Wesley fire him? And then suddenly he shows up in the yeah. next scene. Yeah, he tells him like, you know, take this guy away or something. But I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if he just calls him the next day. He's like, come back to work. Yeah, he's an okay. asshole. I'm just, yeah, I'm, yeah. Okay. I, I noticed that too. But I 100 percent noticed that as well. Goons are hard to come by. You know, you, you need them. They're, they're cannon fodder. You know, this is true. This is true. I I I know on the we were talking a lot about obviously the the the, the story and the actors, but behind the scenes. Um, Joel Joel Silver was the producer of this. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's got blockbuster written all over it when it's got Joel Silver's name on it, you know. Yeah. And the director Rowdy Harrington, uh Zach, he uh, wrote and directed a movie that you and I kind of kind of pops up a lot on po- uh, podcast after dark we talk about it, uh Jack's Back with James Spader. Well, he did um and and then I really enjoy that movie. We talk about that on podcasting after dark, and then Dustin on two dollar late fee. We talk about Gladiator. I was gonna say striking distance. Did you talk so about much, striking distance? So much Not Gladiator. <laughs> we haven't talked we about. Talk, we distance. talk about Gladiator. All I yeah. love that yeah. movie so much. I think it's it's just brilliant. It's in your it's in your top ten, right? <laughs> Uh, top 15. <laughs> Striking Distance, not so much. But Gladiator, Corey, if you've never seen Gladiator, dude, you'll love that movie. I feel like I have. I, I see the cover and everything, and I, I sort of recognize it. I believe I have, but only once. I'm willing to give it a uh, you know revisit as well. But uh, he doesn't have that many you know movies under his belt, though. He's you, you would think, you know, Roadhouse being such a big film, but... Maybe, like you said, it, it's more of a big film now than it was back then. Um, but I'm just, I'm kind of shocked that, like, under his, like, you know, under his belt, they're like just like nine movies or nine things, and one of which is a Tales from the Crypt episode. And I'm like, damn. Yeah. I mean, Roadhouse had a better, better uh, run on street, uh, on DVD, Blu ray, VHS than it did in the theater. And HBO. And HBO, you know, HBO. It was a mainstay. Okay, so that's oh, so eighty nine. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I was gonna ask you guys, was it streaming on HBO then? Because I didn't have cable back in the eighties. That also might be a reason it didn't sort of come across my 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 eyeballs as frequently. You know. And I think I, you know, Dustin, you said this in the beginning of the episode. It's one hour and fifty four minutes, mm-hmm. which for an action movie, that's long. Yeah. Um. And yep. maybe dissuaded a few people. Oh, that's a long movie. And right, this is a fact too. When a movie is of that time, they can't show it 
as many times on screen in theaters, right? Et cetera, et cetera, because your your block is smaller uh, because of the time. Yeah, on HBO and all that kind of stuff. And it's not Dances with Wolves, so it's not getting heralded as this, you know, best picture nominated film. It's what it is is it's an action movie, right? With a lot of sex, so it's a probably alienating a, a younger audience from seeing it because parents don't want to take their kids to see a bunch of boobs, you know, and butts. My dad didn't care. <laughs> My mom didn't care either, but I, I think a lot of parents did at the time. Like, I think parents had less of an issue with uh, violence than they did with... I mean, this is a yeah old story. Yeah. It's always been that way. Right. I was trying to kind of see what, what else was kind of coming out around that same time. And, of course, you had... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, Which is your family film, even though it's not a family film, by the way. Right. Uh, Pink Cadillac. With Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Around the same time. I'm just looking at like May. Uh, yeah, because this movie came in out in mi- middle of May, right? It was the beginning of the summer. It's like, yep. Kickoff. Yep. It was May 89. So what else you got? Miracle Mile. <laughs> <laughs> Steve right. Desjardins film. Yep. Right Night yep. Part 2. Which was a bomb. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, when did Days of Thunder come out? Was that 90? I think it was 91 or okay. 92. Yeah. And so, that's the thing. Like, I don't think of Roadhouse as like a summer movie. I think of something like Days of Thunder as a summer movie. Sure. You know, like a tentpole film. I don't look at Roadhouse as being a summer blockbuster. I, yeah. I look at it the same way I would. I don't look at it the same way I would look at Lethal Weapon. I it's I think it's a niche film. I I think this film is is dealing with a subject matter that doesn't necessarily appeal to people. Bar bouncer dealing with a, you know, small town hood. Like that doesn't that, that doesn't appeal I think in a broader sense and maybe that's what hurt it too. Wasn't that the the premise also of like Walking Tall, like someone comes into town? It was. Yeah. And again, that's yeah. an exploitation film. Right. That that movie is definitely with uh Buford T Pusser. Yeah. Uh, the original one, <laughs> the first one, right? Yeah, that was his character's name. I think Bo Svensson took it over, but Joe Don Baker was the original. Uh, they Then they made a Walking Tall movie with uh, Kevin Sorbo, and then, of course, The Rock starred in a fairly decent uh, remake yeah. with Johnny Knoxville in it, too. But. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, that, that's just that that trope of that, you know, the guy comes in town and, and sort of cleans up town type of thing. Um, yeah. And I like that. I like that trope, which is, yeah. I liked it in Roadhouse as well. I thought it was an entertaining thing. Um, oh, I love it. I love, I love backwood hillbilly movies where you just see these dipshits. And this movie is filled with dipshits, like idiots that did, you want to see them get their asses handed to them. It's fantastic. Yeah. When he clears the bar, the double douche, the first night of the double douche. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It's great because that those are the people that you want to see get thrown out the door, you know, and, and they don't and they don't get thrown out the door at places. You're like, yeah. how come that guy yeah. didn't get thrown yeah. out? But I did. I, and I hey, I understand you wanted to clean it up, but it did look like they were spending a lot of money there too. all those, uh, you know, POSs. Um, but I, I get it. Uh, if we're moving into the general discussion, can we spend the rest of the time talking about his Dalton's weird white ghee shirt that gets tucked into his jeans. It's not a button down shirt. He looks like a goddamn Luke Skywalker walking around in that thing. And I'm like, what is that? Yeah. It's almost like if you had your robe, but then you were called out for, <laughs> so, you know, you got, I got to do a run. I got to go get some ice cream or something. You just tuck it into your pants. Yeah. It's like, he's like, 
Luke Skywalker up top and, you know, Gene Man down below. It just, it didn't seem like it went together. I know. If I was his sensei, I would have slapped him in the face. Be like, what are you doing? This is not appropriate attire <laughs> his, for his pants. His pants overall are like the most pleated, high-waisted mm-hmm. things oh, you've ever seen. terrible style. Just terrible. He's got terrible style. Terrible. I mean, I mean, he's got 89 style, you know, the the the, yeah. the way oversized suit, the blazer that just hangs off his body. Yeah, those oversized blazer jackets, which yeah. was unfortunately a, a fashion. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. It's, it's really funny. Wade's the one who looks the coolest. Yeah. 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 Because, he, yeah, he's just wearing like jeans and like shit kicker boots and like a t-shirt or something. It's like, it's very classic. It's like, he looks contemporary, especially because his jeans are kind of tight too. And I was like, Oh, he's got sort of skinny jeans on in 1989. Yeah. You know, he kind of does. Yeah. And, and his jeans are under over his boots. And so I, I just, for the longest time, it never occurred to me why uh, people had their, je- their boots outside of their jeans. Well, Marshall answers that question for us in our uh, $2, six question segment, which you'll hear in a few weeks. That's right. um okay Corey. so this is a a monumentous occasion knowing that you have seen this movie for the first time what other thoughts do you have about this film uh well the the cool thing is actually a lot of our discussion just now went through a lot of my notes that i had written down um but overall like as a sort of a general thought you know more general thoughts to it the music's outstanding. I, I do want to talk about Jeff Healy soon. Yeah, um, let's segue into that. I, I love that. But like, final thoughts about the movie. I know I'll, I'll dig more stuff up when we do our breakdown, scene by scene stuff, because there was there was a lot of interesting things I want to talk about. But they're going to be more contextual, like when we discuss them as they're sort of happening. You know, there's fun. You know costume stuff and and you know fashion from that time frame and all that kind of. What stuff. What about the, the the business idea of having, you know, just a little station set up in the bar for people to come up and kiss your wife's uh, tits yes, for, for 20 yes. bucks, 20 or just, bucks. Or just grab onto them if you don't actually have if, that money. If you don't have it. I mean, <laughs> what, what, an, what an idea. What a what side a, hustle. What a side hustle right there. And she was totally into it. Yeah, that's yeah. that stuff was weird. But like, <laughs> I, I liked... I like the broad ideas. I like the fact that he was a cooler. I like, and Zach knows, and I know Dustin knows as well. I like world building stuff. I really like the fact that everyone working in the bar knows who Dalton is, knows who who Wade is, because it's it, it gives you this idea that working at a bar kind of in it brings you into this world that that us we don't know about. You know, and, and there's these inside jokes and these inside knowledge that bar people sort of know. And I'm not saying it's it's correct. I'm sure there is part of it is correct. But I like that. I like that it builds up this alternate reality that people everywhere all over America that are working in bars know that Dalton and Wade are the best coolers out there. And then the yeah. idea of a cooler I thought was really neat. You know, I was like, oh, he's going to be a bouncer. He's like, no, I'm a cooler. I, I don't bounce. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. And even the name of it is like his job is to diffuse and all this kind of yeah. stuff and everything. And I, I, I dug all of that. And it's just like all this world building that I really enjoyed. And then like little micro moments that I, I I'm not the hugest Patrick Swayze fan. I'm really not. But I liked him in this movie. And we mentioned earlier when the girl brings him food, you know, kind of brings him food and everything, wakes him up. 
He yeah, seems Carrie. very annoyed at her. <laughs> yes, it and, does. And I like that because he's such a nice guy the rest of the time <laughs> that it was enjoyable to see a different, like, yeah. it made him human. That reaction to being woken up by gross food, he's like, I'm not putting this garbage into my body, you know, but like being woken up in his place of, of sanctuary, you know, and, and every, and of course it's going to, that leads to later, he's like, how'd you find me? She's like, everyone. And that of course will lead to later. Everyone knows where he lives pretty much. But I like that he was annoyed, and I like that he didn't apologize for it. He kind of just came out of it, you know. He he woke up and came out of it. I was like, this is such a realistic portrayal of someone who's been up since four in the morning, right. and then is probably getting woken up at eleven. And they're like, why are you waking me up right now? And they seem like they're the type of person that, you know, his character is very much in control of his own life. So having her walk in on him, on him like that kind of threw him off, and it made him annoyed. Again, it's weird, but him being annoyed, I thought was a great character moment for that for Dalton, and I very much enjoyed. And I I enjoyed that he didn't like apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, I was a dick. I was tired. We get it. You're no. tired. You're just waking up. I get it. I think if he was attracted to her, he would have apologized. Of course, <clears throat> she's yes, yes. Of her course. character, her character comes off as nerdy and mousy, and like uh, she's awkward. in all of her roles. Well, yeah, she always plays that character. Yeah, yeah and there's something to, uh, about his job where he doesn't want to be found. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's yeah, true. He like, that's that a good this point. is supposed to be a sanctuary. You yes. Know? It's supposed to be a that's fortress a ni- That's a better way of putting it. Yes. Yeah. He, he really doesn't want to be found. So the fact that this that this waitress, this annoying waitress found him, it's very easy probably for many people to find him in town. And, you know, like the same way that he's fixing up a car every single night because they've destroyed his windshield, they've thrown a stop sign through it or whatever. Like, how long before... They come finding him, you know, at home. And of course, we know it's not very long. Yeah. No, no because he lives across the river yeah. from the guy who wants him <laughs> yeah. dead. Guys, so. I'm right here. He leaves, I mean, and he <laughs> leaves all the lights on usually. Like like every single light. Come on, watch what I'm doing. Hey Brad, you, he sees, uh, Brad can see him having sex with yeah. his girlfriend. Yeah. So. Yeah. watching that. There's like a time, spotlight yeah. on, on the r- right. roof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as we segue into the soundtrack, really quickly, Michael came and did the soundtrack to this and used some of his... Uh, unused music cues from Die Hard in this oh, wow. as well. So the, I think the score is fine. I have no problem with the score. I don't go gaga over the score, but it's really the soundtrack of the movie. And I want to specify that, that the movie soundtrack is really not what's on the physical soundtrack. I, I want to just get this out of the way. The, there are tracks that are on the physical soundtrack that are in the movie, but yet again, or once again, this movie does what, other movies have done that have pissed me off, i.e. Iron Eagle, where there's like songs that they don't put in the soundtrack physically, but they have them in the movie. Uh, Kathleen Willoway, by the way, sings, uh, you know, what is it? Thunder, Knock on Wood. And that's not on the soundtrack. That would have been cool to hear her version because I thought she sounded pretty good in that. It's interesting because um, on Spotify, you can find like a Roadhouse soundtrack, you know, deluxe. I don't uh, I can't tell if it's like I think it's something that somebody sort of put together. Uh, but, yeah, it's got like Long Tall Sally, Long Tall Sally on there and uh, Traveling Band by CCR and whatnot. Um, so and it's a- probably music inspired, but they thought would be comparable. 
Well, I, I do remember hearing Long Tall Sally in, like, you know, I think it was was a diegetic when it's in the world. You mm-hmm. know, it's not a part yeah. of the, the score, but it's actually in the world. So I'm sure they probably pulled some of that out from it. Um, but I, I they didn't, did, yeah. me personally, I didn't notice the, the like, the score and, and, like, the score cues as much yeah. as I did the actual music specifically, you know, Jeff Healy and everything, but I noticed the music more than I actually noticed the cues. Well, I mean that I agree with you. I did. I felt the same way. Like I didn't know it didn't strike me like, it. Oh, this is the part where I hear this, that big crescendo or whatever. Um, but like on the physical soundtrack, Patrick Swayze's got songs on there. Uh, and then you've got little feet, which is a, a tremendously amazing band. Uh, they were a great when Lowell George was their lead singer, but he passed away and then they didn't, they weren't the same after that. Uh, Otis Redding, that song is actually in the movie too. And that's a beautiful, these sexy arms song, of mine. Mm-hmm. right? Bob Seger of, has a great song, Blue Monday on there too, uh, which is a fat domino song. But, and fortunately it's a, it's an important, but Jeff Healy's sound songs are on the physical soundtrack as well. He's a huge part of the movie. Uh, he's, he's, he's one of the top characters in the movie. Like if, if he's not in the movie, then you don't have a guy explaining who Dalton is to the whole crowd at one point. Yeah. You know, his name's Dalton. Yeah. Dalton's the name. Was the idea behind that was that he's worked with Dalton before at a bar probably or something like that. They had a relationship. I, I gather that. Yep. Uh, but it's cool that it's the whole band, Jeff Healy band. Um, you know, that song that, that that you love that we were all singing kind of together at one point, uh, when the night comes falling from the sky is a cover of a Bob Dylan song, uh, a Bob Dylan song that came out in the eighties as well. Um, I have a problem with that. I really don't like that song, (laughs) his version of that song. sent it to me and Dustin it's just I popped I I skimmed through it I hate Bob Dylan when the night comes falling and I'm like no 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 I hate you so much I don't get the appeal at all did you ever hear the joke about how he got his name uh, how he got that voice that he was sitting under a tree playing songs to his girlfriend and everything was melodic and beautiful but then spiders came down out of the trees oh, that's Gross. such a kindergarten teacher joke um but yes and i also agree i i've I've never really understood the bob dylan um thing the the allure um you know he's always just sound kind of off key and uh and strained um and and not melodic (laughs) ever ever anyways bob dylan's version sucks and jeff healy's is amazing
but uh, I did want to just mention something about the score. I felt like the score stood out to me in that final fight uh, where Jimmy and Dalton are fighting along the beach. And it's so heavy handed where it's kind of leading you uh, a little bit prematurely where it's already going. And like, I'm like, what's, why are we, this is not like that. This is not, crazy obviously you know when when someone gets their throat ripped out of their head but but like that um it wasn't really servicing the scene very well because it was used for mclean and uh gruber and gruber i mean that would be interesting <laughs> if that was yeah i mean i don't know that for sure but right i've got this unused mclean jumping off the exploding roof queue right um, they're very similar very similar. No, I agree with you. And I feel like the 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 score at the end when uh Dalton is hunting Wesley in his home, it's it's a little uneventful. Like it's mm-hmm. I, it's neither here nor there. Like you were saying, Corey, it's like kind of forgettable. Um but because and it's interesting, like the the songs being in the bar, being used by the band, it's the soundtrack to the movie. It's not a musical. It's not like Streets of Fire. It, it's similar in a way to Streets of Fire where the band takes over, they're doing their song live and you're in that moment. It's such a cool vibe because you feel like you're in the bar with the band and the chaos continues and they continue to play. You know, it's such a... They never stop playing. I mean, it's just, it's so notable. It's just so amazing. It's like somebody's throwing a stool through the, the back mirror of the bar. And, you know, normally you'd probably look up. It's just like, oh, it's just another night at the, in another shitty bar. And, and, Jeff Healy and and Dalton, when they do kind of reconnect after a while, they do have a conversation that's like, this place is even worse than, you know, that other place. Like, how could it possibly be worse? And it's almost like, right, there's an expectation. There's a process. Every shitty bar that these guys work at, right, there there has to be this evolution. And sometimes the bar gets cleaned up. And and then when it does, Dalton moves on. And uh, right. And in this case, Jeff, Jeff and the band or Cody, you know, have gotten to this bar <laughs> before, before Dalton. But I do, again, I love this world that like, how would you even contact these guys? How would you even find these guys? Right. You know, I, I need, I need that guy. I need Dalton and Dalton, you know, he just moves on whenever it's time for him to move on. Right. Like, right. He doesn't leave like a forwarding address. It's like, no, but, but that goes back to the, that that genre, the gunslinger, the West, this is like a Western, which is the same genre as like samurai movies, which is also the same genre as Mad Max, which is this character that usually a guy, this guy comes into town. He's only good at one thing. Gunslingers are shooting, samurais are swords. Mad Max is driving. Dalton is cooling, right? And uh, he never sticks around. And and he kind of, it's this mystical thing. This is like, this is like big. This is like mythos type of stuff, you know. They're they're they're, and and that's it is one of the things I like about this movie is that it builds his character up to be this bigger than life person, and I and and then I like the fact that he still has to use his team and he's not perfect every time. He still gets stabbed. He still gets messed up. I love that he's got scars all over his body. That kind of reminds me of that famous. Alex Ross uh, painting of Batman where he's kind of taking off his his bat suit and he's got his back is just 
scarred apocalypse you know you see the damage that's done i was like i I was like i wonder if he got if alex ross got that inspiration for that drawing Mm. from this um but i like that i like that they build because same as usually samurai movies and gunslinger films and mad max you do find out that the 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 build-up is not him. He's still a real person. So he's still vulnerable yes. and everything. He still he can still get hurt and all that kind of stuff. And you find out that, you know, his, his reputation is bigger than him. But then he has to he has to by the end of the movie rise up to his own reputation. And I think that's what works really really well about this movie. Yeah. And I think there's a nice alternative having Swayze as the action hero in this movie because if you replace him with a Van Damme or a Schwarzenegger or a Stallone, it doesn't vibe the same way. Suddenly you have, you don't have a human film anymore. You've just got a Terminator film. Yeah. You don't have a philosopher. You you don't buy those guys as, as philosophy majors. You don't buy them saying things like no one wins a fight or if they do, it's just some more grumpy throwaway line. Right. Yeah. And, and I think maybe Swayze was also a little bit of a, you know, precursor to Nicolas Cage being the action hero. You know, no one expected Nicolas Cage to be an action hero, and then he becomes one. Patrick Swayze was doing action movies, but, you know, well, if you think of Red Dawn is more of a drama than an action movie. Drama with action pieces in it. For him to carry an action movie and being a professional dancer and, you know, uh, sensitive room you know like not the typical action hero star that's that's something to be notable to noted for as well Well, that's why you buy when you know doc asks like who wins in a bar fight and he's like nobody and i was like i love that i was like that's a great line yep there's so many cool little lines like that in this movie and you buy it because, yeah, he's not this hulking meathead. Yes, he's he's jacked. He actually he's ripped. But he's not Sylvester Stallone. He's not Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's not JCVD. And I think that I think Roadhouse works because of Patrick Swayze and not, you know, it, it wouldn't have worked with a lot of other people in that role. It needed to be yeah. someone more human. Yeah. More human than human. Than human. Oh. But going back to Jeff Healy, you know, I again, and I, I, you know, not it's not just the the bar that gets an upgrade. I love how he gets a haircut. He starts looking better, and like everybody around them starts looking better. And I like the idea that, you know, by the bar succeeding, everyone in the bar who works for the bar is also succeeding. I like the fact that they didn't go with this storyline about the owner like cheating the people out of the bar. I, I, my world building is he treats them as good as, as, you know, as he can, you know, his employees and stuff. And I like that. I like seeing Jeff Healy band get, you know, get better looking like they have cooler clothes and stuff like that. But when he is playing and when they're all playing and he's playing his guitar, you know, on his, on his lap, I mean, it's so awesome to watch every single time. I 100% never got tired of seeing Jeff Healy on screen. And I don't, you know, I don't think he's an actor first. I think he's a musician first. I think he did a fine job in this. Mm I had, I I didn't like say, oh, that's just a musician. I mean, they gave him a lot of screen time. He closes out the movie. Yeah. He He closes out the movie, which is pretty remarkable. Because like I said, his his album came out in, what, 88, just a year before? And he wasn't, you know, whatever, 
top five hit is a big deal. That is a big deal having a, a, a number five song in the country. But still, like to close out a big budget action movie with the the band, that's pretty badass. So my question is, is he a cover artist? Like I, I see a lot no. of his stuff. But a lot mm. of the stuff in this movie that he does sing are covers, including the one that we all love. And then even on his own, you know, on Spotify, I just went to his page and, you know, kind of listened to the highest ranked stuff. And yeah, Angel Eyes was on there, but there were some other covers as well. So I wasn't sure. I didn't know. I didn't know if Angel's Eyes was even a cover to begin with. But I, my question is, is he known as a cover band or... Well, I think I think in this movie the, the band has to be a cover band because they're they're it's a bar, right? And predominantly that that bar band that's playing every night is just doing covers because that's all people want to hear. They don't want to hear the the original tunes. Was that your experience the other night, Zach? <laughs> yeah, everyone <laughs> left. <laughs> oh, originals. If I became a regular, if my band was a regular at the Universal you, Bar, you could do Grill, Angel Eyes maybe- covers. We start doing Angel I would love to cover Angel Eyes. Yeah. I love that song. It's a jam. It's a great but... song. Co-written by John Hyatt, by the way. Which uh... Yes, who's an um, another amazing blues-esque type yep. guy. I mean, so I just have to say, so uh, the reason why I have such a strong feeling of, of Jeff Healy is my stepdad, Mike, uh, w- I met him when I was when I was eight or nine years old and he was the big influence on me musically. He was the one that turned me on to bands from the seventies and early eighties, uh, blues rock and Southern rock. And a lot of the albums that I have in my home are his albums that I inherited when he passed away. And Jeff Healy, he loved Jeff Healy. He's like, you got to check this guy out. He's so good. And he turned me on to little feet, um, you know, and, and, and so many other great bands, John Hyatt and, Boz Skaggs, before Boz Skaggs was doing Lido Shuffle, he had a song called Loan Me a Dime, which is an eight minute long blues Mm. song that is just like a blistering, powerful song. Anyways, so I think there's like a connection there with me, with Jeff Healy. I know there is because my stepdad, Mike, loved him so much. And he did like this movie a lot, too. He loved Sam Elliott. And and he would I think he and I would watch this film and um so there's a major strong connection there for me, but I wanted to point out one thing that happened to Jeff Healy in the movie in the beginning is when the guy throws a beer bottle at the chicken wire and it looks like the glass hits him in the head. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, that, and yeah. I thought that was going to turn into something. I thought he me was going to be bleeding or something, but yeah, he kind of just shrugs it off. But yeah, I almost wonder if that was like, they probably obviously told him like, look, we're going to throw glass, but I think it might've like actually, I th- I felt like that was actually Jeff Healy reacting by accident. Yeah. That oh. didn't feel like acting to me. It felt yeah. kind of spontaneous. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. As the story goes, one of the writers of this movie uh, found Jeff Healy was a Jeff Healy fan. He is written into the script. So apparently the original script, there's no, it's not just like, nondescript band it's yeah it's jeff yeah. Healy. <laughs> they they wanted he wanted jeff healy from the beginning okay that's awesome yeah and patrick swayze knew about him as well so i guess they were you know i just think it's badass i think it's cool that he got this you know I, we talked about this with marshall teague he's forever uh cemented on this screen you know with this performance and it's a great performance he's really good yeah he's really good his it ranks up there amazing. with amazing his voice is insane yeah. so insane and his, and his so, guitar yeah. stuff is awesome like so you know myra's not the biggest fan of like sh- like old school like rock and roll she's not like a big fan of like huey lewis and stuff but i'm starting to what? discover that she likes 
She likes stuff like Dire Straits because she likes it when the guitar like talks and everything. She really enjoys that. So I was like, <laughs> I'm watching this movie and, and, and the song, you know, uh, uh, The Sky is Falling, whatever it's called. Um, I was like, I think she's going to like this. So I play it for her when she gets home. I was like, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on it. And she, she was like, oh, this is this is good. I love it. I was like, do you like the guitar talking and everything? She's like, oh, I love that. I was like, what do you think that guy looks like? And she's like, kind of describes something absolutely different. And I was like, nope, he's like a baby-faced, blonde-haired, blind right. dude. And she's like, that's not what I was picturing. But I was like, but that voice, it has so much soul to it. And and just the way he sings the guitar and everything, it's just, I, I can't, I I might like, I like Roadhouse. I enjoyed Roadhouse a lot. I very much like this movie. I'm going to be obviously watching it multiple times for, for our breakdown and everything. But moving forward, I will watch it. But I might be watching it for Jeff Healy because for me, I freaking loved him walking away from this movie and his music. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, I, he came out around the same time that Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray Vaughan obviously was really popular and uh, other guys in similar, you know, fabulous Thunderbirds, for example, um, smithereens. I think you could kind of throw in there a little bit that they weren't blues, but they were that rock sound. And, yeah. uh, but Jeff Healy just had a different, you know, vibe to him. Dustin was is that your is this your kind of music? Do you dig on Jeff Healy's stuff like this genre? I do dig on I do dig on Jeff Healy. I dig on uh, all kinds of rock tones. Huey Lewis, uh. <laughs> Lewis, yeah, Huey Lewis for sure. No, no, for sure. I mean this um, this this music also captures the dive bar in the South. Um, very accurately. You 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 couldn't. You couldn't not have music like this in this movie. No, no. Yeah, I totally agree. Perfect music for this this movie. By the way, I would love to see a spinoff from the Ozarks and have it be about <laughs> Roadhouse with Jason Bateman being the cooler mm-hmm. <laughs> and trying to look, guys. We need to do this. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so as we as we wind down, I've got three fun facts about. 1989, the year this movie came out. This episode obviously is coming out in September. September and August are big months for podcasting after dark and $2 late fee. It's our anniversary months, right? So I pulled three facts from August and September altogether. Uh, The first being in late August on NBC, the TV movie produced and written by Michael Mann, L.A. Takedown came out. He's one hot cop. Employee your socks. He's one cold crook. We're not here to hurt anybody. The cop works so hard just staying alive. Don't come on to me with that crap. He has trouble staying in love. You got a good reason for your frame of mind. I'm losing her because I'm chasing guys like you around the block. It's no easier staying most wanted. What do you tell her? I tell her I sell swimming pools. I can't believe this. So the only one who lives happily ever after. We got only one shot. Is the one who takes down the other. We should both go do something else. And now, for the first time anywhere, L.A. Takedown. L.A. Takedown was the basis for the movie Heat, starring Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. If you've never seen L.A. Takedown, uh, highly recommend it. It's it's not one of Michael Mann's best, but if there was no L.A. Takedown, there would be no Heat. Have you guys seen L.A. Takedown? Nope. No. Uh-uh. Got to, we can, we can all go, you want to come over and watch it? You own yeah. it. You own it? Yeah, I own it. Okay. 
one come over and watch it i mean the, the more we do this i just I, i'm like what haven't you seen it's always i mean you you haven't seen deadpool obviously and you haven't seen like some like you didn't see just friends but like everything else new girl. like you have no reason well i guess if you were like doing a michael mann um i love michael mann he's one of my favorite yeah, directors of all the times if you were doing a filmography i mean just uh an intolerable asshole from every story i've ever heard about i know him. isn't that a shame um, is that a shame I just ran into a friend recently was sharing that he worked on a show with Michael Mann. It was just like, I could not even believe the stories he was telling just, uh, yeah. not to slander Michael Mann on this, the, at the very last minute of this podcast, but, um, <laughs> Dustin's coming in with some slander. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it was not my experience. Obviously I have not worked with Michael Mann, but, um, yeah, but a friend was, yeah. was my mouth was just open though. I was like, Oh no, it's like, yep. Michael Mann. Lunatic. Damn. It's such a bummer. That's such a, a bummer. I know. Because he's a he's he's arguably one of the best directors of the eighties. I mean, I love him across the board. I mean, I love the freaking Miami Vice movie. Like, I don't give yeah. a shit. I love yeah, that movie. I thought it was good too. Especially the director's cut when they added the uh in the air tonight back and because uh, the theatrical cut didn't have that because he's like, Oh, I don't wanna I don't wanna put that in. Everyone's like, Why the hell isn't that in the movie? And he's like, Okay, fine, I'll put it yeah. in and the director's cut like has it at the end and it's great. But I I think that movie's awesome. I loved Collateral. I love Heat, obviously. Uh, I'd love to read uh, Heat, too. You know, he wrote that. Oh, he wrote that, yeah. Yeah, as a book. Uh, but, Zach, you just mentioned this is like a pilot? Th- so this was a TV movie. A TV movie, okay. okay. It was not a pilot. Okay. It was never expected to be a, a TV series. It was a it was a TV movie that he... Did you see it the night it premiered? No. Okay. Uh, no, but I was familiar with it. Okay. And because the epic shootout was a big deal, they talked about that. On, on, you know, <laughs> talking about on, on entertainment tonight. Uh, so I, I did not see it when it first came out, but I went on to see it. And I loved it. I thought it was great. So if you guys want to come over and watch it, we can watch it. I would love to. Um, okay. If I didn't live in Oregon, <laughs> you can rent it from the Bend, Oregon blockbuster. There you go. Right. <laughs> right. In September, the Family Channel debuted its children programming block, Fun Town. It's time now for Fun Town. How do I know? Just listen to the Fun Town clock. <laughs> See, told you it's time for Fun Town. So this struck me as interesting. I'm like, why? Why? I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on the Family Channel because we all know the Family Channel. But did you guys know that it was created by CBN, the Christian Broadcast Network? No. Nope. So it was a Christian-owned company that obviously was like, we are the family-friendly station and ha- had quality content, like heart-to-heart uh, TV re- reunion episodes oh, and yeah. ca- a classic cartoon blocks like The Archies mm-hmm. and The Archie Show. Um, but I was digging deeper on this block of, of cartoons that they did, and there was a cartoon called Mayor Zach's Fun Town, and the Zach Zach is spelled Z A K S or Z A K, and I was like, "Whoa, what? Mm. That's wild!" So this is this is just a factoid for you to to yeah. kind of shout out your own name. Then I mean, that was not common back in the day, but they would show like Rin Tin Tin and Border Town and you know the New Zorro and all that. What if, what if you bought it and it was you? 
like that you created. Exact <laughs> fun town was your. We'll go back to your original question about Bodie Bodie's name, and maybe I I chose to spell my name Z A K because I saw this. No, it's not true. It's not true. It's, I was spelling my name Z A K in first grade. You made the choice of Z A K. That's your choice. Yes, it is my choice. Your parents never spelled it that way. No, my name is Zachary Z A C H A R Y. So my first grade teacher said, no, you have to spell your name Z-A-C-H. And I said, well, that's Zach. And she goes, no, that's Zach. And you have to spell it. And my mom actually had to come down and talk to my first grade teacher and say to her, basically, he can spell his name however he oh, wants. Oh, wow. Yep. In first wow. grade. I didn't know you had an origin story for your name. Yeah. I do have an origin. So names are very important. Very important <laughs> this to is, me. This is interesting. So you. Dustin and I are learning something new. Yeah, really. So President didn't tell you guys this story. In first grade, as early as first grade, maybe earlier. Well, no, because you, were you spelling your name at that point in first grade? I was spell. Yeah. Yes. You write because letters? I remember yeah, I we, we were, we were practicing signatures and I watched the new adventures of Zorro, the filmation cartoon. Okay. And I remember the Z, and I thought that was so cool. And I wanted to do that with my name. And I thought AK looked a lot better than ACH. Well, and ACH is Zach. But, it is Zach. But what about Z A C K? I think th- that never crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind. Because you were in first grade and you didn't know how to spell. I did know how to okay. spell. I actually, I, 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 uh, what do you call it? I, um, I um, what, what, where that what happens where they boost you up another grade? You skipped a grade. Um, I skipped a grade. I you're skipped, so smart. I, you don't even know what it's called. I skipped. I skipped second. Gra- <laughs> I skipped second grade in the third. Swear to God, you went from swear. first to third. Yeah, I mid mid. No, I went from first to second, but then midway through second, they boosted me up the third grade. Oh, okay, well, midway to second because you because you dazzled them with the zak. And they're like, what else can this guy do? I don't know. Let's it's boost Michigan, him. It's Michigan, though. It was Detroit. Let's boost so, him up midway through the year? I don't, how does that work? You're like, this kid just blew my mind with the ZAK. He, so, he's destined but why for even, greater but, things. But why even bother at that point? Because you're going to go have, you just you're, all of a sudden you're going to show up as the new kid in third grade? So I, I showed up mid-year in third grade after the break. After the Christmas it, it break? Let, let the bullying commence then? Yes, because, and then I moved to California, right? Wow. And I'm supposed to start fourth grade, but they test me first and they real, and they test me and I test back at a, at a third grade level. So they start me back at third okay. grade. Okay. So you were back <laughs> so, on track. So, so this is really just an indictment of the Detroit <laughs> educational system. Yeah, yeah it is. You skipped, you skipped second grade. You skipped yeah. half of second grade and then you, and then you moved and they were like, this is, that was a mistake. That was, my mom that was can corroborate. No, no. <laughs> Send him back, guys. He's, he's oh missing some things. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he should spell his name Z-C-H. Can we just somebody spell him C-H? Like, like if, you want to be, if you want to be Z-I-K, you got to go back two grades. Yeah. yeah. This is where we find yeah. out that Zach's, yeah, like you're, you're actually like 55 years old. And you, <laughs> Corey's losing his shit. I can't. <laughs> I'm crying. It's hilarious. Oh, you skipped a grade for a, like half a for ha- for like a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. It's not a joke. It's serious. You you know you're a third grader now, Zach. It's time to move because you're really a second grader. <laughs> yeah, I remember be getting having to take an assessment test in the summer of oh my uh, God. Of, uh, so 1984. Funny. It's so good. Fremont Older in Cupertino, which it's burned the down the ground. I've heard my entire it life. really is so good. 
Um, so last fun fact, you bastards. I hope, this, <laughs> I hope we can connect this to your life somehow, too. I really do. I mean, dude, well, I chose this for one. Corey. I chose this for Corey. I thought he'd be, I thought he might ne- ha- Corey, shed a little bit of Corey knowledge has on tears. This. Tears. <laughs> yeah, dude, that, he can't amazing. even see. <laughs> Blinded. In, in September <laughs> of 1989, uh, the pilot for the X Men animated series was first broadcast in syndication. It would take another three years before X-Men would be fully realized on Fox. No place to hide. No place to run. No place to run. The mutant mutant has now begun. Yeah, a.k.a. <laughs> technically the last episode of the RoboCop cartoon. Mm. They uh, they took that budget. They were just like, eh, this cartoon's not really doing well. That last episode, eh, sh- shifted over here to the X-Men cartoon. And uh, that X-Men cartoon was awesome, that pilot. And anytime it kind of popped back up uh, on, on syndication, I always wanted to watch it because it was really damn good. But yeah. Uh, Marvel, Marvel Animated Studios, wherever it was called at the time, RoboCop. They were doing the RoboCop cartoon. It started tanking. I guess they knew they saw the writing on the wall, and yeah. they took the budget for the last episode and just transferred that over to the uh, X Men cartoon. Um, that's awesome. Love that cartoon as a kid. Yeah, yeah. So technically, uh, X Men is an '80s cartoon. Technically, yeah, yeah, t- yeah. But yeah, very '90s though. <laughs> But that wraps up uh, fun facts for 1989. <laughs> you should have ended it with the other one. <laughs> yeah. Why? It wasn't. Why? That wasn't how he started. That wasn't the intention when the facts started. <laughs> no, it's like this is just going to be when a story the night about comes calling about Zach's, <laughs> Zach's Zach's house. Spelled it my way that I made up when I skipped a grade and then was sent back. No, sit back, right back. Don't, don't collect two hundred. Just when I was out. Right just when I thought right I was out. So if you guys, if you guys like this discussion, uh, Corey's going to be joining us on our Patreon as well. Tales from the Video Store this month. Uh, so go to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash two dollar late fee for more fun like this. Corey's going to join us for a lot of stuff on Patreon. Yes. <laughs> you're you're going to hear me for a lot in September. <laughs> yeah, and then Dustin's going to join Corey and I on our Patreon, on Podcasting After Dark's Patreon. Yes. On Patreon.com slash Podcasting After Dark. We've got The Carpenter Factor. We've got Wrap Up After Dark. We've got lots of fun content on there. If you're already signed up, thank you guys. If if you're not signed up and you're considering it, man, check it out. And a free way to help both shows is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as well as, like, you know, a full review and everything and wherever else that allows you to do that. Um, But all those reviews go a long way of getting both shows, $2 Lay Fee and Podcasting After Dark, and in front of new viewers and it's absolutely free so leave us a five-star review both shows you know whatever whatever you want to do wherever you're listening to us everything has a rating system leave a five-star review if you if you don't want to leave a five-star review then yeah don't leave let don't leave a review period <laughs> yeah if you didn't like this episode then um go uh, don't. just move on <laughs> yeah don't leave a one-star review is what you're saying yeah <laughs> we we have one one-star review on the pad uh, so feed that, that's a positive review, and you can just tell that they, I guess, either mistakenly thought 
one was good mm. or like hit it and you just want to be like can you go can you change just it? go can back you go change and it to a five fill in those other four please yeah. yeah well well my doctor said on a pain scale one is the least painful and five is the most painful so it's a one <laughs> what yep um Double douche. yeah thank you everybody what are your what's your story with roadhouse where do you land with roadhouse do you like it do you not like it let us know uh you know, on Instagram, social media, blah, 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 blah. Or Spotify. They allow you to leave uh, comments on the episodes on Spotify. So leave a comment. They do. So quick recap. Uh, next week, we'll have the breakdown of Roadhouse, followed by interview with Marshall Teague. Then uh, after that, $2, six questions. So those are the next three weeks. And then we wrap it up at the end of the month with territory marks uh paul london and myself talking about terry funk and Corey will be joining us it's my understanding that terry funk was a was a mentor to paul london right he was he actually he helped paul london immensely taught him the moves he's a fellow texan so that's amazing yeah and Dustin, we'll get you on uh, TV Obscura as well. Um, I, I've I've wanted you to ha- have you on that show for a while now, but it always seems to. Well, I've got a lot to say about one episode of Werewolf. So if you guys are covering <laughs> I, that, I know you do. We, we had like a thirty minute Oof. TV Obscura before we started. Oh, re- man. Put, like before we started recording, we should have just recorded that. I, discussion. We should have. <laughs> Dustin Blue is load talking about well the two of you guys. Uh, so. I just sat back and about the I mean worst, blowing a load, but blowing a load is like supposed to be like a happy, fun experience, right? Like I don't think that that's what I was having. I was I was more of a Dustin was popping a cyst. I was I yeah, I was that. more like like processing a trauma or like just Dustin was like, pushing a kidney stone out. So it's just like, what did I see? These guys have seen Werewolf a million times, many episodes. This is my first Werewolf episode starring Marshall Teague. I was like, why Why is there no story? Why is it not making any sense? Why? Yeah. And they were like, they were like, bad first episode, which is always how it goes, right? It's like, that's not the first one you want to see. Yeah. Man. You're like, why is, you're like, why is the werewolf in it for only 30 seconds total? And yet this show is called the werewolf. werewolf. The werewolf works at a carnival. Werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go watch werewolf. But he doesn't. He only does that. I love how Dustin like really is attached to John J. York's character working at a carnival. That's the only episode, buddy. It's the only time I mean, it happens. You're like, but no, it's such a great setup. He works this was my world right building, now. right? Because I know nothing about this. I'm like, okay, so he's on the run. He's on the run. <laughs> yeah. He has to work for cash only. Because he can't right put anything down, he can't have any paperwork. Because he's running, because he's, he's a werewolf. He's running from the law. He killed a guy um, in L.A. That much I know from from you know. But uh, so so Carney is just like you come and go, you travel, whatever. It makes sense. That would be a perfect home base for him. But no, just this one episode. Does he have a different job every episode? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of has the Hulk yeah, formula yeah. where he kind of he's a drifter, yeah. goes from town to town. Yeah. But we're not going to play out with uh, the the piano cues from the Incredible Hulk. We're going to play out with Jeff Healy on this episode. So enjoy the night comes. What about Don't Throw Stones? You don't know. Don't t- throw stones. <laughs> Buy me a big TV. You don't know. Don't throw stones. You don't know. It's kind of a lame. Yeah. So I mean, it's kind of lame lyrics it is but i love tito and tarantula yeah me too yeah when the night comes falling when the night comes falling Corey, thank you yes. we'll uh we'll see you soon on uh on on well on our 
yes. on our blog. Thank you guys for having me. I love it and looking forward to uh, the entire month of Roadhouse. And we got to check in on your thoughts, Corey. We got to check in on your thoughts. Like when we come back, how have things changed? Yep. We will have many thoughts yep. as we break down Roadhouse scene by scene. Love it. <laughs> yes, we will. We will be comparing scars. Love it. And pubic hair. And butts. All right, everybody. And buttholes. What? No. <laughs> Via con Dios. Via con Dios. Oh, and this. The, right. Mijo. Mijo. With the hand thing he did, too. Oh, yeah. Kind of a like a salute. I'm glad we're in audio uh, format and no, no one, one can see us all doing our hand motions. We did not it's record like a, the video for this. No, we did not. No. But, you know, people get the visual. You, know, you, you Close your eyes. Close your eyes. And just envision us next to you. See you later, right. miho. <laughs> when the night comes falling. Opinions vary. I think I have to remember that I see Listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the Internet. <laughs> Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFee Podcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. <laughs> <laughs>